If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cashback on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cashback. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome to another episode of Remap Radio. I'm your host, Rob Zachney, and this is episode eight for July 21st, 2023. Today, I'm joined by Ricardo Contreras. Hello. Patrick Lepic. Hi. And Renata Price. <laughs> that was my first. Ren is chuckle. feeling very smug because we are a listener-supported show. If you enjoy Remap Radio <laughs> and wish to become a supporter, you can learn more at remapradio.com. <laughs> our website has links to our membership page where you can sign up for monthly or annual plans to give you ex- access to exclusive Remap content and help uh, help keep us going uh, in business. Now, let's get into today's topics. Uh, so. You know, it seems like there's not going to be an 11th hour, uh, by God, that's the FTC's Circuit Court of Appeals music, music to sort of stop the, the Activision <sighs> uh, Microsoft merger. There's still there's still court proceedings happening, but uh, the, the big thing about getting some sort of injunction in place is just looks like it is not happening at all now, Patrick. No, the uh, we, we speculated when we recorded whether the FTC would file an appeal um after uh they were initially denied and that happened but that uh that appeal to put an emergency sort of injunction in was also rejected so the FTC is not without options but in terms of anything to stop the the merger from occurring you know the FTC is is sort of left out in the cold and then the the last remaining uh, hurdle was the CMA uh, over in the UK, and they had signaled as soon as the FTC lost the original uh, case uh, that they were amenable to revisiting this with Activision. They kind of backtracked that a, a little bit uh, after the fact to be like, yeah, but like, like in a real, in a, like a real way, not in like a fake way. We're going to revisit this, and it seems to have landed somewhere in in between. All told, it is it is not something that was going to get wrapped up. Uh, in the next couple of days. Uh, and so uh, Activision and Microsoft uh, agreed to extend the period in which the merger agreement can, or the acquisition agreement uh, can occur. Essentially, there was a, uh, I think, $3 billion uh, kind of poison pill attached to the uh, the agreement, uh, the event. If, if Microsoft walked away after promising to pay and purchase Activision at, at, at its uh, that share price, Regardless of whether it was because the merger was blocked or they decided it wasn't in their interest, they were going to have to pay a pretty substantial penalty. And obviously, it's in everyone's best interests from the perspective well, of everyone, their <laughs> the perspectives of Microsoft and Activision's executive teams to, to close this. And so 
it's obviously Microsoft is not going to be paying Activision three billion. Um, uh, they are going to extend this out while the CMA stuff gets settled. And then the the funnier third part of this is what has been called. I'm not sure if anyone's been following the the gamer lawsuit that has been uh, following on track with this, in which a group of ten gamers. I'm not sure if that's how they'd identify or call themselves, but essentially ten consumers banded together to also file an antitrust lawsuit that was running in parallel with the FTC doing it with their more formal uh, 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 government uh, uh, powers. And they appealed that all the way to SCOTUS. And uh, on, uh, I I think it was earlier today, uh, it it was denied. Like, someone had to read this. It was not just blocked out of out of sight. I want to read from Eurogamer, <laughs> please. Um, f- uh, from a reporter of Victoria Kennedy, uh, the U.S. Supreme Court has denied the latest effort by a group of gamers to block Microsoft's Activision Blizzard acquisition. In December of last year, a group of ten gamers teamed up to file a federal antitrust lawsuit against Microsoft. The case aimed to argue that Microsoft's acquisition of Call of Duty maker Activision would quote foreclose rivals, limit output, reduce consumer choice, raise prices, and further inhibit competition. Uh, and it kind of like plugged along and uh, the last ditch effort. I just want to read this. Now this last ditch effort has been rejected as Supreme Court Justice Elena Kagan has denied the appeal. Kagan did not provide an explanation for the denial. But just the notion that 10 gamers managed to get this in front of Elena Kagan and then she had to rub her temples and go, no, is uh, tremendously funny. In fact, I respect... I respect the hustle, like getting it all the way there and forcing a Supreme Court justice uh, with nothing to show for it. It's not like even if they were successful, it's not like they were pocketing any money. They were doing this for the good of the G, the gamer. And uh, they tried and and failed. Um, they came so this close to becoming the most legendary gaming clan <laughs> uh, in, in history. The first one that like sets precedent in a supreme court uh mm-hmm. ruling that would have that would have been beautiful uh it would have been i wanted like, i want to see it like clarence thomas what's up man like <laughs> weigh in what you think man like uh you got a lot of opinions on a lot of subjects these days how about how about this one uh it would have been funny obviously that that was not going not going to happen and and, and basically i think uh activision and, and microsoft uh, extended the the window for this to i think october 18th uh, which gives them plenty of time to close the deal and add Hexen to Game Pass, as we've all been dreaming, um, sometime this fall. Uh, so that will make me, Patrick the G, a winner. If we can just get Hexen back in the mainstream dialogue, let's go. Well, that's actually, so that's actually going to be in a couple of years what triggers the breakup of Activision Microsoft <laughs> is there's going to be a, uh, you know, a number of the assurances they gave us was that they would bring Hexen back. And here we are three <laughs> years later. No fucking Hexen. That's my gamer lawsuit. Oh, ain't Miss Kagan. I'm coming. I'm coming with a lawsuit. Where is my Hexen? Where is my Hexen video game? What if they let Raven make another uh, Hexen game? Come on, that Wolfenstein game they made some years back was was interesting. I'm sure none of the team members were. Raven there was anymore. a good studio. They and were. Then it was just like, what if you stopped making your own games and turned into effectively um, uh, support for other stuff? Uh, you know, it's it's not all rosy over at Activision, specifically when it comes to Overwatch League. Uh, so it sounds like we are entering the Death Watch period of uh, of Overwatch League. Uh, 
So there was a so Activision just had a earnings report and in it was a passage uh, sort of been widely cited during the second quarter. We amended certain terms of our collaboration agreements with team entities participating in the Overwatch League. According to the amended terms, following the conclusion of the current Overwatch League season, the teams will vote on an updated operating agreement. If the teams do not vote to continue under an updated operating agreement, a termination fee of $6 million will be payable to each participating team entity. Uh, fee total, total fee of approximately $114 million. Uh, so basically, the existing Overwatch League franchises are going to decide whether they want to keep going with this. And if they don't, they get $6 million to break this thing up. And Damn, I wonder what they're going to do. Put an end to it. Uh, and so, yeah, that seems that seems like the an incredibly likely uh, outcome. And Wait, certainly, uh, to be clear, yeah. who gets the six million? Because it sounded to the me team like owners. The, the team owners, the team owners get. I thought they ha- they were having to pay a fee. Mm-hmm. To, no, Activision. You know, you know how people are like, like buy my silence yeah. on Twitter. Like, like you put up a Patreon link or something, and there's the, <laughs> like the the number that nobody's ever going to hit. Like, give me a million dollars, and I and will I'll never shut post the fuck again. Up. Yeah, <laughs> that's what that's that what is. that's what's happening in Overwatch League. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Mm, Going to be a really hard choice for these teams. Uh, do they want to have uh, kind of volatile players who constantly uh, court controversy uh, and you know get potential lawsuits, or do they want to get six million dollars? <laughs> really tough. What real toughy? <laughs> real toughy. Real, uh, real uh, hard one. As as Ash Parrish and others have noted, but um, I'm pulling from Ash's report in The Verge. Uh, yesterday's the esports department at Activision Blizzard laid off about 50 people. Uh, so Jesus. like it is, it is clear that like the esports effort over at Activision Blizzard is being, if not entirely wound down, like substantially devastated. I have, I have a question. So, you know, uh, there's been a lot of reporting over the years over how much of like what we call esports is kind of fake uh, or is a bubble. Um, how much of what is happening here is related to the broader sort of decline of organized esports, and how much of this is related to Overwatch's struggle as sort of a franchise the last couple of years? Or are they like are, are they it's, intertwined and and aiding each other? They are intertwined, but also this feels like it was the inevitable outcome from the moment that Overwatch League became a thing. Yeah. So to to go back, which is what like I think that we should actually okay. maybe start with what does Overlock Overwatch League mean uh, vis-a-vis like broader esports? Well, actually, let's, let's go back one step further and talk about like the model that it was sort of intentionally supplanting. And this is you know this for a long time was sort of the conventional wisdom of like how does an esport form like what creates a vibrant. Uh, competitive. Oh, that's beautiful. Kato. Kato's holding the, the first world finals uh, merch for for Overwatch League. That's that's terrific. I want to go. Uh, I want to go to the last one. Get a matching sack. The book ends. <laughs> you should God, put them on each yes. side of your closet. That'd be so funny. That'd be such a good the alpha and the omega yeah. of uh, of Overwatch League. Anyway, so back when you know. There's always a lot of discussion of what like makes it what makes a good uh, esport, what makes it sustainable, but also what also helps it achieve, uh, you know, achieve critical mass. And I think within the you know esports, very, the various communities that formed like the esports communities. When you're talking about like, the the competitive scenes around longstanding games, a big part of that was always 
grassroots that you, you mm-hmm. sort of figured out that there was an appetite for this thing because you saw evidence that there was a huge appetite for it. Like there was a community that was throwing events, whether or not an official, uh, you know, endorser or licensor was was involved. You would have clear like desire for competitive events and those things would can sort of continue to grow uh, and and attract more audiences. And that strategy takes time. It takes years to sort of figure out, like, if a game has legs. Like, you know, the original Brood War, uh, you know, really still hasn't quite died out. Uh, You know, if you think about Dota, uh, that is a game that sort of proved its mettle for for years and years as a mod before things like League of Legends and, uh, you know, Dota 2 came around. With... Overwatch League was sort of the most ambitious effort by any publisher. Um, I don't know. That's debatable. Maybe you'd say maybe Riot was even was even more ambitious. Uh, but it was it was an ambitious effort to sort of short circuit that process and skip it a lot. Like even League of Legends built up its competitive scene pretty slowly. Like the game was a hit before you ever had uh, LCS. Overwatch League had like a good launch and immediately Activision Blizzard effectively like ensured that they would be the only uh they, they would be the only promoter and organizer for major Overwatch tournaments uh they squeezed out the possibility that any like grassroots esports organizations could get involved but then this was always the tell um they went completely to the venture capital model Mm-hmm. And like what they sold were franchise spots and what they were selling people was this idea that Overwatch League is going to be the next you know, NFL, NBA, something on that tier. And here's your chance to get in on the ground floor. It's just going to cost you uh, hundreds of millions of dollars to sort of buy your spot. And remember, at the time this is all happening, interest rates are very low. There's a lot of like capital flowing around. So it was a pretty easy, you know, ticket for for a lot of uh, ownership groups to to buy. So it's like when was, Mark Cuban gets involved, like folks at his level were like, "I'm interested in esports. Like, I'm going to buy a, a city team." I feel like I was seeing a lot of uh, headlines about like like savvy uh, athletic uh, team owners getting into esports, and Cuban is often associated with stuff stuff like that when I see it in the media. Yeah, like yes, like he is the he is the dipshit whisperer in some ways. He, he comes across as like like a really broy CEO in some ways, and is like into cool things that the, the, that the kids are into. His track record as an actual runner of things is is not amazing. He's a he's a he's a finance bro, uh, not really a uh, you know administrator or or manager. Oh, the Mavericks are doing great. Luca's not going to leave in a couple of years because they failed to build a team around him. That whole thing with Kyrie has gone super good, Rob. Like, And more importantly, that's just an organization people are proud to work for. Uh, that, is just a, that is just a classy organization. But so, so the point is, like, the moment they did that, it was pretty clear that Overwatch esports was probably dead. On arrival, yeah. like if you if you if you sort of knew the history of esports and what they were heading into, that was not a good sign. Because the other thing that you do, the moment you say like you you sort of when you make something really official like this, you kind of concretize it, you crystallize it. 
And part of what the years and years of in the wilderness of the grassroots does is it lets games evolve, lets competitive formats evolve, lets people figure out like what is the fun thing here. And Overwatch League was like, the fun thing is Overwatch. <laughs> everyone get, everyone get, get on board uh, Overwatch. It'll never stop being awesome. And also this league is going to, of course, you want to pay $100 million just to get into the league because it's going to be bringing in uh, hundreds of millions of dollar a year, dollars a year, uh, you know, any minute now, starting like 2020. COVID didn't help that situation. But even before that, you know, the viewership numbers weren't promising. Uh, and as is often the case, like, what's the actual business model? How are you going to get money out of this thing? The answers were to be determined and the an- turned out to be kind of, you know, negative. Uh, there's just not that much money to to get out of it at this scale. And so, like, from my perspective, Overwatch League just structurally was a cash grab. It was like it was set up to extract capital from investment groups. Uh, but then it was also tethered to a game that was in its infancy in a lot of ways and still had a lot of development left to go. Yeah, and, like, I think that, like, everything that happened with it's kind of, I mean, it's kind of tragic that, like, the amount of work that was put into it from, like, a community and, like, player and, like, teams, like, actual people in the involved in the production side for this, like, massive project that was, like, effectively doomed to fail. Uh, I don't, I, like, with the business model they created, like, I don't know how they ever would have succeeded for longer than, than they did. And so it's just a bummer to see all of that, like, come, come to its end with, like, you know, people's livelihoods. Um, you know, noting there was like 50 people laid off at Activision's, you know, esports team. God, God forbid the like dozens who are going to be like taken off of teams and like commentators who just like are like out of work. Um, and like content creators who like suddenly have to go like figure out a new niche really quickly or find a different line of work. And is that uh, because with the collapse of this, there's literally nothing else for multiplayer Overwatch to fall back on well, to give a lot of these people an ability to and again like I, this is coming from such a like i know nothing about this world but like is it all just built under overwatch league and, like that disappears and it's like well i guess there's like nowhere for these commentators to go or is there just fewer opportunities because the, the falling of cash from activision and the infrastructure around it is was kind of propping up a, a lot of this I mean, it, it it'll depend on the individual, but like a lot of these, a lot a lot of you see commentators switch games all the time, right? Like there yeah. there are people who okay. uh, kind of swap over, and like they'll maybe they'll stay within the FPS space. Like you know, Counter Strike still thing. Valorant is the big one where you're seeing a lot of Overwatch crossover, um, and it's just like there'll just be less, right? Because like Overwatch was so big that they needed a bunch of people, like a bunch of people, right? Um, and it's like, I don't know, this whole thing smacks of the biggest just publisher L in the world because <laughs> it feels wholly divorced from the way that the game was designed to me. I don't actually know what happened behind the scenes, but Overwatch did not feel like it was designed to be a competitive game in that way from the beginning. Um in its oh, I would say like Overwatch does feel like competitive in its design. I think it's like a competitive game, but I do not think that like Overwatch League as like a as like a product that like a person could watch was ever particularly legible. I no, I um, felt, like I, because like 
Mm-hmm, I was just gonna say the, the the game that Overwatch was trying to replace in the space was Team Fortress. Like that is a casual game, right? And when I when I mean when I say this, by the way, is like between like the difference between a casual game and a competitive game is the kind of level of um, tweaking that has to be done to balance to make it feel like when played at a very high level, it feels fair, right? Like there's all those things where like your focus on how you balance things is like, is it fun for the casual audience or is it ultimately super fair for the highest level of play? Those are kind of like the splits and like there's ways to mix and match and like balance both of those sides of that spectrum. But Overwatch and the style of game it was, the the TF2 like, the class-based kind of just shooter never felt like it was and like you know you see goats for example right you see the whole like once it got to people fucking drilling down once it got to the competitive level and those people start to drill oh, down oh no oh shit oh, no. they fucking broke the game because you were supposed to be at this layer right we only we only built it up to here it seems like what you're saying is like there there are games that are competitive uh by design but not meant for we're not explicitly designed for competition yes and a game like valorant like this is an outsider perspective, but looked like a game that was made to be in competition, but also could be played as a competitive game by design. Yeah. Right. Like it is, it is like explicitly like this is from the beginning. We know going to be played at this highest level. And thus like we have thought through all layers of the design crust. Valorant, like this is, this is what riot does, right? League was the Dota, as a mod is very popular, but like here we'll make it make a better like full fledged thing to kind of capture some of that audience. Valorant is the there's a lull in CS:GO. There's a lull in Counter Strike. Surprise, Counter Strike Two is about to happen finally. But like they saw that lull and were like, well, here's our here's our take on it. And thus, when they a year out launched their sort of competitive stuff because they had kind of gone through the exact same thing with league it seems to be much healthier in general like i don't know that it's making them a ton of money but it doesn't feel like like even from the outside watching the things that were happening in overwatch league it felt like a shit show (laughs) like the way that the 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 balance like fully fought the the balancing that they had to do for competitive play fully fought like felt like it was fighting the rest of the um the rest of the user base like everyone outside of competitive play felt burned by the changes that had to be that had to be made to make a a quote-unquote balanced competitive play space you know and i think like that sort of touches on something again we talk about the grassroots thing yeah grassroots letting these things bubble up and to kind of also not be officially endorsed means that communities can house rule things into effect and basically say like, Hey, like this part, these parts of the game are kind of broken. They result in kind of, you know, bad competitive events. So we're going to rule them out or we're going to create Mm -hmm. limits on some of these things. Uh, I think one of the things that you end up with when you, I think like, I think this is always dogged. Uh, Basically everything blizzard has done since they decided to take over StarCraft 2 as opposed to the way they sort of let Brood War kind of, you know, evolve on its own. Mm-hmm. The moment you are balancing in the context of there's the tons of casual players who just want to enjoy your game and are really like the game has to be fun for them because that is ultimately like that is where your viewership comes from. That is where 
your spectator audience comes from. This is where the enthusiasm comes from. And then there's a much smaller set of like uh, high level players. Like a lot of these games are built around like competitive ladders. Most people don't want to play in competitive ladders. They never have. But one of the things that has become uh, kind of a signature of this era of esports is that suddenly you have a ton of emphasis being poured into ladder matches, which historically is not what people want to go do because it is stressful. And also because a lot of times laddering means looking up, hey, what are the three or four strategies that are viable right now and how polished can I get at executing them, which just is not it's 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 homework. It's not fun. But the moment you are developing in the context of well, we have to make it good for the competitive uh, level and we have to make it fun for casuals you're kind of in in tricky terrain but the other part is knowing like game balance is a moving target sometimes the best thing you can do is like this game is wildly unbalanced sometimes what that might require is you don't touch it for a year and you let the community figure out Mm -hmm. like well actually it turns out that this game breaking meta has some major weaknesses and now there's other things we can try and it will break open in a different way Mm -hmm. like sometimes you just have to set back but the minute blizzard got caught in this loop of putting their finger on the scale over here and then like you know listening to feedback and putting the finger on the scale over here it started to feel really arbitrary it starts feeling really frustrating if you're tuning into the matches you're like, this game feels completely different than it did two months ago and not in a way I like. It feels like entire skill sets have been devalued by these decisions. And so you end up with like a, a an increasingly hard to follow game because the only people who fully understand the impact of all these changes are the people who've already drunk like the ladder match Kool-Aid uh, or who are like really into competitive. Uh, but then the the, you know, the other part is that you've got a lot of the negativity around state of balance and that becomes, you know, that, that has a chilling effect on both the competitive and the casual levels. Yeah. I also think that like part of the difficulty is that for this, for this to work, right. For this like business to work, you have to have like a ridiculously engaged community uh, that you have to like always be interacting with. And I just think that like, that community is always going to find issues faster than you can like patch them. And I, I think like, like, like Rob said, you just have to let them sit with it for a little yeah. bit because otherwise it's just like an infinite stream of like, because if you have like, if you need to pump X amount of money into the game's community to like get it big enough to justify being an esport and like X amount of like t- time and like presenter slots and all of this stuff, right? Like, you have to be cr- trying to create an enthusiast community that is going to be an absolute fucking nightmare to manage. You are like creating your own like hellscape effectively in terms also of also like the minute management. you stop giving them their treats, yeah. the discourse completely flips and it's like, oh, you're like ignoring this game now. This game's dead. No, you, yeah. you don't love us anymore. You don't care. And like, I think one of the smarter things that Valve has done in place is, is they've had no hesitation to be like, actually, you know what? You love this feature, right? Fuck you. You're never gonna. You're never getting another diatide scumbags. Guess Give what? Tide. I hope you. Give hope you en- I hope you enjoyed Give, it. Please. But we're never doing it again. Uh, like, but you you have decisions like that. I think the ultimate counterexample is, um, you know, Nintendo's handling of Smash, which was, what if we didn't engage with the community for years? What if, in many ways, large and small, we told that community, we wish you were dead. <laughs> 
we wish you would just go away. But the <sighs> sort of the salutary effect of that. Now, admittedly, it made it a nightmare. They made it a nightmare to organize tournaments and uh, it's sort of a, a part and parcel of a lot of other shitty ways that Nintendo interacts with right. uh, its communities. But the benefit from that is that game could just sort of run free. Uh, if we're talking, if we're talking about melee, that game could just, that game could just sort of run free. Uh, that doesn't happen if Nintendo is putting a finger on the scale at the frequency that these, right. like these uh, ongoing live service right? Like others, Nintendo doesn't view their games as a live service. They don't view themselves as somebody who has to be an, an arbitrator stepping in uh, constantly uh, with the community. They, and, and I think that's to your point that it ha- comes with its own frictions and there's probably better ways they could find a, a medium between the two of those. But I, yeah, I think something like melee doesn't occur um, unless Nintendo essentially is a, is largely ignoring what's going on. Well, they're also not thrilled. Like, I, it's one thing to say that like, Nintendo doesn't put their finger on the scale. I think it may be accurate to say that Nintendo doesn't put their finger on the scale, st- scale because they're trying to shove it off the table. Yeah. Like, like really, cool. they're just trying to like shove. Right, but I mean, the like they're they're the they, right because they're like we're doing this. We don't care what's happening over there. Whereas a lot of what's happening in, in some of these games is trying to care about everything yeah. and thus making a lot of people upset in the process. They unfortunately well, care in the wrong ways, right? Exactly. They yeah. care in the worst yeah. way. It's like, don't, if don't care, then don't care. Just ignore them. Hey, what Let are you doing do- under our license? Hey, That's fuck our off. property. <laughs> yeah. What are you doing yeah. over there? Yeah. Hey, you kids. We, hey. Hear, we hear you having a tournament in there. You got to come out of this middle school library at some point, you fuckers. Hey, wait, uh, are there a bunch of sex pests in there? <laughs> oh, <laughs> there were. Oh, fuck. <laughs> uh, Another upshot, though, of not getting too involved as a, uh, <laughs> as a publisher. <laughs> Suddenly, like, the minute you're like, this is an official commentator or this person is a star in a league we promote and stuff bubbles up, like, that becomes very directly your problem. Yeah. Um, but I think the but like when I when I think about sort of the, these examples, you know, the problem is publishers saw in esports this possibility where their IP as a video game would also translate into we will we will have the equivalent of owning the entire NBA or the entire mm-hmm, NFL. Mm-hmm. And that just, you know, it's one of those things where it's a business model you can imagine. And if the world worked where that business model worked, you'd be really rich and that'd be awesome for you. Well, yeah. But it doesn't fill any needs. It is. It, I mean, like, I, I think that, you know, owning the NBA is like a it's, a it's a pretty good reference point. But I think like that also like undersells the scale of what they were hoping for, which is like it's not like owning the NBA. It's like owning every time someone picks up a basketball. Yeah. What if what if you were the only person who had ever made a basketball ever? And if anyone else ever tried to make a basketball, you could le- you could lawsuit them into oblivion. Um, and so like, that's the other thing is that like, you know, there were collegiate level esports as well, that company that, you know, places like Activision Blizzard did try to put some amount of money into because again, it was like, what if we own the NBA? What if we owned the, um, the national college, uh, you know, basketball association, or I don't remember the uh, college basketball term, whatever. Uh, and also every little league team. What if every little league team well, had yeah, to go I didn't. <laughs> I think the Washington Post is the one who ended up writing this story. I was chasing it down for a while and I never was able to get all my my facts in a in a line. But uh, it was about who owns and operates the leagues that operate at the high school level, right? And so uh, on one hand, you do have organizations like Riot or and and Nintendo actually like trying to provide tools and resources to high schools that want to run formal leagues and tournaments. So there's like a structure in place, a way of like 
keeping track of things so that you can like work with other schools. But that wasn't just an option for like, hey, I need a structure. Like, what can I tap into? It was also if we find out you're running one of those things. It wasn't Nintendo or Riot that came knocking. It was the company that had partnered with Nintendo and Riot saying, hey, no, 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 no. Like, I know that you just want to like get some kids together after school and run a tournament and like go down to the, the, the city 10 miles away and play against them. But you can't do that unless you license our stuff. And it got really seedy really fast at that, but like below the official level line as it was just unclear how hands-on anybody was once a license was given to somebody to go start uh, deploying those enforcement mechanisms. Right. And like, I mean, the moment you have rights holders who are in the picture like that or who have outsourced this, uh, again, like chilling effects, it just becomes really hard to justify. I'm going to put a lot of my effort and time into doing a small community level thing uh, when it's going to involve playing phone tag with companies that really have no interest in what I'm doing at my level, but could also cease and desist you at any moment. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the story, if we want to read on it, it was, yes, it was, uh, uh, it ran in the Washington post. Uh, it was called league of legends, no longer exclusive to play versus for high schools, which is a very boring headline for like a little, like a more interesting story that is happening underneath. And if you're like curious about like what is happening at those lower levels with these sports, it is, it is definitely worth looking at. So the other thing I was going to say is that like, you know, I have been, I have gone to a college esports competition, not as a competitor, but as someone who was just like watching and like see and like seeing parents watch their kids play an esport for the first time. And like it, I understand why a company like Activision Blizzard would think this is the play. Because if you like take if we remove it from all context, if we remove it from all context, the idea of owning the idea of basketball, incredible infinite money you don't just get to license your favorite players you get to license your favorite characters you know like the people's favorite characters and their favorite players and so you get like multiple forms of licensing you get like people playing it from a young age if they want to play the game they have to buy the video game it's just like a it's infinite advertising you can see the pitch but the problem is that like if every single time a normal person has watched someone play competitive Overwatch, it feels like their brain is fucking melting because I have watched like dozens of people simultaneously try to parse the thing that is happening on their screen. And it's impossible for like so many people to parse. And it was never going to be the thing that they dreamed it could be. Look, I the only game I like played semi seriously was Starcraft 2. Uh, in terms of like knowing knowing how a game worked and everything and, and Starcraft 2 was really really parsable but I never really got that far in League of Legends and Dota but those matches were parsable and you could have people sort of explain to you and unpack what is going on decent spectator esports yeah Overwatch League from the jump was like these are and they're good they hired good commentators out yeah. of different fields they brought in like stars from from Team Fortress 2 uh, it didn't matter it was it was too hard to parse. And again, they're they're tools for because this is the other thing is like part of making a good esport is having lots of good spectator tools. Um, you know, Patrick, imagine the 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 nightmare bullshit we we deal with just to put on a tiny little stream uh, to, to, have, to have Kato like, you know, make sure all our cameras are there and like God help us. We want to switch gameplay feeds like hard enough, but you know, ideally what you'd want, what, 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 what esports producer Kata would want is 
uh, gameplay feeds from all the players in the match. And then also maybe two or three people with a special like observer client who can basically like no clip a camera all around the match and get good perspectives on the action. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the the broadcast tools and the spectating tools in Overwatch were not up to par when the game came out. Uh, you know what else a person would probably really appreciate? Uh, a map that can be understood to kind of convey where people actually were in relation to one another. And that's the other thing that, like, Overwatch is in a pretty difficult space in. Overwatch's maps are, like, pretty vertical. Uh, and, like, there's a lot of, like, layering to them at times. And, like, how do you present that to, a, to like, a random person? You, you can't even do an over, like... The thing about, like, League and Dota is that there is a top-down map. There is one perspective... And that's all you got to see to understand what is happening in front of you versus Overwatch League where like someone could have fired a shot from behind the fucking camera and you're not even going to see the bullet that took out the person who you're watching right now. And like, how do you convey that? to You can't. It's it's so hard. And like, this is why this is why, like. Even Valorant, a game that has like a pretty thriving esports scene, even Valorant like seriously struggled with this and like continues to struggle with this, like in some of its broadcasts, is like properly presenting itself so it's like actually like readable to people, especially as like maps get increasingly complex. But like, you know, it, that was a game, like Kata was saying earlier, divine, designed with competitive play in mind. And so its maps are built in such a way that they are, like, readable from the minimap. If you keep your eyes on the minimap in the middle of, like, a professional Valorant game, you will be able to tell someone what happened pretty well. You can describe it. To them. You cannot do that in Overwatch. Um, yeah. And so, like, it could never have been the thing that they wanted it to because it's not, like, kickball in goal. Anyone can yeah. get soccer by watching it for 13 seconds. Or, I mean, you know, it's one of those things where the the path not taken is Blizzard has a hit on their hands with Overwatch. And they let nature take its course and they don't rush into building it into a competitive game. And they just sort of like treat it as how do we keep this experience fun, fresh and novel and not like sweat balance and competitive details too much. And then you sort of see what bubbles up through like custom modes and such through communities. And as people throw together their own tournaments, you do start getting to draft off a lot of the creativity that gets applied through things like that. That's not the approach they took. And in part, it was because it was just a hell of a lot easier to tell people with large amounts of cash for whom like $100 million was not that big a bet. Just tell them like, this is going to be the next NBA. You want in? And the answer was yes. Uh, and now, and now, here we are. Uh, you want six million dollars to make this not my headache anymore? You want six million dollars just to go away and figure out what Overwatch esports can be in the future uh, without any without involving us? So that's uh, that's that's where we're at right now. Um, you know, it's it's been a long time coming, but it 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 has always felt inevitable. Uh, you know, almost from from the jump. Uh, when, when this thing debuted, uh, I guess the last thing I just want to touch on before we uh, go to break, uh, Corsair, maker of the mighty lapdog, now owns <laughs> Drop. So, Drop is Drop is where we spent a lot of time looking through keyboard custom keyboard configurations <laughs> and keycaps and all sorts of stuff. Uh, and I think part of you know my impression of the the, the custom keyboard community is. It's just a big, you know, wilderness out there 
full of tons of possibilities uh, and and very and and not really centralized or organized uh, in many ways. Correct. Corsair acquiring drop feels like a big step toward centralizing it. Yes, but drop fell off before this purchase. Like like drop has been like shifting has been trying to like become the thing that you're describing of the like mainstream version uh. of this like enthusiast thing. And it hasn't really been going great. Uh, a lot of their like collaborations have been like pretty mid. Um is like the first issue. Uh, a lot of the like big like official collaborations like pretty like like even their like Lord of the Rings keycaps, like I could find better Lord of the Lord of the Rings keycaps than this uh, like anywhere else. Uh these are the official drop plus Lord of the Rings keycaps. Here, let me send you these. Yeah, I will note that uh Natalie on our stream also was like drop has stopped being interesting for a while. Oh dear. Oh dear. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, ugly ass. How did they find? It feels like somehow they they did they did elven runes, but put them in an ugly font, which is weird. <laughs> yeah, is this is this this doesn't How feel do like something I find at the back of Silmarillion. I think the thing uh, is that it might be, but those things weren't supposed to be separated, right? Like elvish yeah. looks good if in a sentence. But you, yeah, you take true. out the specific. <laughs> you take out the, the keycap. Yeah, you take out the specific letter. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, uh, look at this. Um, uh, the, the, do you see the space bar? Oh no, that's not on that image. If you, so bad. But go, go look at the space bar. Uh, if you yeah, click I'll through that link, um, the the space bar that has the full like sentence, like you can see. Okay, yeah, that script was a. Uh, yeah, I'd screen crap that really quick. Thank you, Kato. That's how it was script looks, right? Like, you can't really tell what the letters start and stop a lot of the times because it's more like a cursive situation. That's a very small image, but you get the idea, right? <laughs> it's like, and those other letters are like, that's not, no. that's not right, is it? I do love Narsil on the fucking end. Oh, this is, hold on. You sent the, here, I have to, I'm, I'm grabbing the other, um, the other. This is like even worse. It's like, Look cream, at cream look at th- and split pea uh, colors. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the other option is a cream split pea and I don't know, kind of like a pale coral. It's yeah, not which great. Is not- it's not great. But you see the enter the enter key now has uh fucking the oh, the broken <laughs> the broken. Sorry. Sword. <laughs> Wait, Kato, Kato. Yeah. You're telling me that you don't want your keyboard to look like Hobbit gruel and sides. <laughs> Yeah, this is a plate of fucking uh, stew and greens, I guess. I don't know. And apples in there. singular. (laughs) Single apple. Uh, Yeah, and it's not even crisp. It's a soft apple. You can sort of see where this, like, would be really desirable for Corsair, though, because I think for a long time, like, peripherals manufacturers was like, all right, we're going to give you those gamer keyboards with the switches you like and cool Mm. lights. And what's cool has shifted. And gamer keyboards have struggled to evolve with that. They've tried to get in on the enthusiast market before. Corsair has been like, we we want to be for enthusiasts. And every time they do, they release a mid overpriced product that gets blown out of the water, like pretty much instantly. And so like buying drop is like, to me, like a, a grab for like, we're going to get the enthusiast market and nothing will piss them off more than doing this. Like, especially because like, 
you know, good keyboards, capital G, capital K, good keyboards are already like so far beyond what Corsair does and, and their whole like shtick and like have such a deeply seated community. That's not on drop. Drop is like intro, it was like st- dipping your little feet in to the enthusiast space. Uh, and it's only been getting like worse. And like, you know, Drop just to be clear, doesn't only do uh, keyboards. They also do a bit of like audiophile stuff too, uh, of like very particular, like very high end headphones, um, or like not really high end, but like also a doesn't feel like they have made tremendous inroads there either. No, don't see a, don't see a lot of like people on HeadFi being like, check this out on Drop. Not really. No, <laughs> no, exactly. Um, and well, so, I, mean, I don't think that. Mm-hmm, please, I'll me. just say I'll just say this: like audiophile land is much more like German sports cars and sedans territory, which is like you don't want like a goofy custom thing. You want like this is the this is the model number. This is the thing that is properly engineered, and they're all like like made to this spec. And this is this is what you want. Yeah. Versus keyboards were like at the high end. It's like I got this one dude to like custom make me this solid like aluminum board that is like or like pure titanium case for this keyboard. But I could easily imagine Corsair being like it would be people with a lot of people who don't want to like deal with like the expense of buying a finished oh custom God. keyboard that's produced by someone else or mm-hmm. want to deal deal with the DIY stuff. They just want a pretty basic vanilla keyboard. But, like, now in the order process, you can get, like, maybe more options uh, for, for that thing. You can you sort of see, like, Corsair moving into a, uh, you know, a bit like the way Dodge will let you paint your charger. Uh, <laughs> any number of, like, shades and put different stripes on it and such. You can see Corsair getting into that model uh, mm-hmm. a, a bit. Um, you know, Did, I, yeah. Oh, sorry. I just... I'd put a link in here. Did they did they steal the colorway from this other drop on a different store? Look at mm-hmm. look no. at look at this. There's only I mean, so like, many I, colors. There's, yeah, I get, but it's just very the fact that they have the enter arrows and escape as, in that same red as that one option was very yeah. striking to me because I, I went over to Kono, which like is kind of kind of in the space drop was a while ago like they're kind of the spot now like i just got a set of keycaps off kono um and i went to look and like they're they're just fully like just keyboards just i want to see like what if there was anything else on that store but um yeah it it feels like it was just very striking to me to like go over there and be like, what's what, what are they up to today? And then it's like, oh, this thing that released looks very similar to a thing that's on drop, but with a license. And like, I yeah. hate the thing on the license, but honestly, the one at Kono looks cool. Like, I think they actually got us. The colors are slightly more muted. I think it works better for that. But it's it's all it was like so close that I was like, oh, wow. Um, it's they've 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 really what? <laughs> oh, no. What's what's wrong? Well, we've wakened something. Oh, oh no! What happened? All right. Well, uh, while while Ren contemplates oh, that, while 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 Ren uh, <laughs> considers keyboard. Um, oh yeah, I bought I that. Buy it. Oh, you can just buy it. Buy it. You can just buy it. I can just buy it. You can just. And it won't be a problem. And it won't be an I can issue. Just buy it you should just buy it. An issue, Ren. and I won't. 
And I Kono, have to think about it. Kono sells the. If uh, only, if only this would come, this would come out a year. <laughs> to ago. be fair, you yeah. Know. To be fair, it wasn't around when y'all were first looking, but specifically the Ergodox that the V two. It's it's assembled. Yeah. It's got it the is, little screen on it. It is. Oh, that essentially, I, it was funnier when you all almost no, died. Yeah. yeah. No, it's, <laughs> no, 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 no. Exactly. No, that's correct. It was, it was worth it for the content. We would be it was here. worth it for the content. Running remap with the subscribers yeah. we yeah. have. Yeah. If you didn't put yourself in a little exactly. bit of fucking danger, exactly. excuse <sighs> me. If that keyboard hadn't smoked, then our numbers wouldn't. I have, can't get there. Have smoked. <laughs> <laughs> We need that good smoke from the content. We need the smoke, the content smoke. And we're going to bring you more of that smoke uh, in the <laughs> second half of our show. Right, yeah, before we get to the break, uh, I have a brief interview where I caught up with John Johannes, the uh, director on Hi-Fi Rush, the surprise uh, drop earlier this year on Xbox, a, a terrific, amazing-looking uh, combination of music rhythm and action. It remains one of my favorite games of the year. I think everyone should be playing it. And there's some new DLC meant for more like the hardcore crowd. There's some new music um, and there's kind of some new ways to play the game. If you're looking for an opportunity to re-engage with Hi-Fi Rush, I was just excited to have an opportunity to re-engage with <laughs> John, uh, who had recently been in LA at Anime Expo to see fans in person for the first time. And we talked about the lack of Zwan in the new DLC, which is upsetting, but uh, it sounds mostly that it's a licensing. Uh, getting getting licensed songs is expensive and takes a long time. Anyway, just a delightful person, and uh, I'll, I'll take every chance uh, to catch up uh, with John. And so, uh, yeah, here's a brief uh, conversation uh, of us talking about that and a number of other topics, including what do you do on a long airplane ride? I feel like everyone's got a ritual. Uh, here's John's. Hey, everyone. Welcome to a special episode of Remap Radio with as you know, as something we're trying to continue here. Like, how can we convince people who came on Waypoint Radio to then come on to Remap Radio to give us increased legitimacy? And I am uh, delighted to welcome back to all of this uh, nonsense. Now that we own our own thing, is uh, John Johannes, the creative director on or game director, creative director, game? Is it what? Are, is it actually game it's, director in the credits? Uh, it's actually just director. Director. Which is both game and creative director at our studio, so <laughs> doing both. <laughs> oh, so that actually has like a specific connotation. It, yeah, our studio really did, never made the shift to sort of just strict game director, strict mm. creative director. So it's like director is literally like both. Um, until our games get too complicated, where we probably have to split up. The job, but <laughs> uh, the the uh, director on Hi-Fi Rush, which was an early highlight of mine this year, and I'm I'm happy to say that sometimes what I have to do as the year goes on. I believe I did this with the game Celeste from a number of years back where I wrote a tweet and said, hey, Patrick, at the end of this year, like, remember how much you loved this game? And then people thankfully helped bring that around for me. I was like, hey, remember how much you loved Celeste? Uh, but I, I have not had to do that as much with Hi-Fi Rush, uh, partially because uh, as we're here to talk about, uh, there is some DLC that is coming out uh, for this game that I do want to ask you about but um i i <laughs> do have to ask first uh as far as i know maybe i have missed this but um i don't notice any zwan updates um in in the new dlc for for hi-fi rush am I, am I wrong on that is there any new zwan songs that i'm missing did something go wrong where the rice didn't get approved like what i need the zwan scoop on hi-fi rush uh yeah, well, there are no, well, it's not specifically Zoan. There are no licensed songs in okay. the, um, okay. in, but, uh, 
that's not um it's not anything specific more than we if you <laughs> if you work with licensed music you know how long it takes to license a song and uh-huh. some songs took like three years to license things like that um that's not something you want to you want to wait for that three-year mark to finally release that <laughs> content <laughs> update so uh, i'm sorry we keep delaying yeah. it because no one can find billy corgan and so we just yeah, cannot we're find waiting for the sign off it's all done we're just waiting for the sign <laughs> um yeah uh so yeah we wanted to get stuff out uh you know early uh or not early but quicker for mm-hmm. people to play um and uh and actually because of the type of game we're making it actually made more sense to not use licensed music um if you played it you definitely know especially the the mode bpm rush where the song speed up uh that required a very bespoke attempt at making the song so uh now, I do also have to ask, are, are you extremely jet lagged right now? Because my understanding is yeah. that you were just in Los Angeles for Anime Expo <laughs> and that we were yeah. so, we originally were supposed to talk yesterday. And I can't tell <laughs> if I've done you a favor by then having to ask to delay it by a day so that you could potentially sleep a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm less jet lagged than yesterday, but I'm still jet lagged. So, yes. Mm. Um But, yeah, I did come back on Wednesday. I got to go to Anime Expo and we had a nice panel with... uh with our voice director and some of our voice cast. And actually that was the first time we got to see, I guess, a, a public response to the game, which is weird because when you do the shadow drop and everything like that, you don't get to see that like fan reaction or people like coming together to sort of, you know, get excited about the game. So uh, coming, you know, all the way from Japan where I guess Xbox is not the most popular uh, console on the market. It's, it's, you know, you're not going to walk down the street and see like tons of hi-fi rush fan art or t-shirts <laughs> right um to suddenly come to anime expo and get to see so many people and they've made custom art they you know they're really excited about the ip they just want to talk to you about the characters and things like that um that was almost kind of in a weird way surreal because until now you're just dealing with twitter comments and it's like are they real maybe it's a bot <laughs> i don't know um <laughs> well it feels sort of I, I had this conversation with somebody uh uh recently when i was at like summer games fest you know keely's like sort of e- e3 event that we that you were also you know a part of as as part of announcing some of the stuff that was, was coming um with an old friend of mine tina amini of all people which like delighted me to no end tina is one of the best, like, couldn't be happier for all the success she had. And then seeing her alongside yourself and a bunch of other people, including Keanu Reeves, was just yes. a, a wild thing. Um, but I had this conversation during that event where it was the first thing they'd been to in a number of years where they got to see their work. They were they, Their game is not out yet, but they got to see it demoed in front of people and got to sit back and see a reaction from people. And not that the reactions you see on social media can't be genuine and you aren't excited about it but it sounds like you had a similar experience where there is something kind of amazing and validating about being there in person to talk to somebody about something you made and something they appreciate yeah i think just meeting people in person especially after coming out of years of you know in in hiding essentially making (laughs) something and then as a developer you don't really get to you're not you don't strut around your stuff on the street um to be able to like actually meet somebody who's it was maybe was moved by something you made or inspired by something you made to make, you know, artwork or things like that. Uh, it just kind of puts it in context, if that makes sense. It's very mm-hmm. strange. But um, yeah, but Twitter, I think, is or the online space is everything's kind of uh, what is it extreme in both directions. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's either, you know, the best game I've ever played in my life 
or this is this is absolute <laughs> trash and uh, should never exist. Or now, or now, I think the most common, very common thing is uh, just people just saying mid and then just walking away. <laughs> <laughs> just, and I don't know what that means. What does mid mean to you? Because I don't know. some of my favorite things in the world. Are, are are maybe mid uh, qualitatively is. speaking, but personally, like, this mid thing like, spoke to me. I don't like my me. coffee super hot. I like it, you know, with some milk in it, so it's a little bit cooler. Mid, totally fine with that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if it works for you, that's as long as you enjoyed it. I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Um, was there was there some, anything to in, too lost in it? Is there anything in particular you saw? I mean, you mentioned artwork. Was there like anything in particular that you found like really exciting and cool that you got to like ha- like share a moment with? a fan that sort of like brought this all into the real world for you? Uh, well, yeah, I, there was some like custom artwork, which was just really cool. Uh, and, and then just somebody stopped me and um, was just like, I'm trying to remember the words exactly, but it was like, thank you so much for making this game. I had almost given up on the game industry, but then you, your game like showed that you don't need games of service and microtransactions to make a, you know, a great experience. So now I am, like happy again and things like that. It was <laughs> wow. like, it was like <laughs> that's really intense. I was like, that's cool. That's like almost a religious experience. That's really cool. <laughs> um, yeah. And the other one was someone asking for a poster and asking me, uh, I heard the game director was here. Is anybody, anybody know where that person is? <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> I was like, I don't, it's going to be awkward, but, um, I, I yeah, I'm in. <laughs> yeah, oh, so that's that so cool. No, that, was, that was funny. It was, it's not, I'm not, I don't want to diss anyone. It was just actually more right, funny. Right. I was wearing a mask, you know, it's hard to tell. Yeah, but, yeah, um, yeah, totally, totally. Again. It, I did see the photos of the crowds at Anime Expo. And I was just saying that that part was a little, <laughs> seemed a little, that, little intense. That was, that was funny. Cause I was pretty sure like, I was like, if more than zero show up, I will find this a success. And then, yeah, there were a lot, a lot of people there. Um, I, yeah, I didn't count actually, but um, I took a nice like panor. Panorama panorama photo of the before I got on stage and showed it to people at work when I got back yesterday. And they were like, oh, my God, that many people like our game. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm sure like it's it's one thing to see numbers. Right. And I'm sure you're you know, you've seen metrics that I haven't seen. And like, that's all, you know, some version of met exceed expectations and all that. And then there's just something else about seeing that manifested in the real world that is. A little different than those abstract numbers about download or, you know, uh, charts and, yeah. and all that stuff. MAUs and KPIs. <laughs> and, yes. And, yes. <laughs> every, every single one of those, every single one of those. And then you have that one person who comes up and says, your game was a religious experience. It's like, well, I don't know how to put that on a spreadsheet, but I'm going to go back and tell somebody about that. <laughs> yeah. But that, like, that sticks with you, right? Or, mm-hmm. you know, that makes Absolutely. sense. You know, it amplifies something that you may have casually seen as like a comment that may have just been like a, you know, an exaggerated reaction to the game release or something like that. But someone feels that strongly enough to come up and tell you it, I guess that that puts it in context, right? Do you, uh, on these like kind of cross-country flights, do you have like a specific, like, this is what I do. Like, I I know I'm going to spend my time just headphones on, like noise canceling and we sleep. Like, what is the... What what is your sort of method to get through something that long? Uh, I try to sleep. I'm really bad. I used to be really bad at flights. Um, the more traveling you do, the kind of more you're able to sort of adjust to. Okay, I can fall asleep now. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
yeah, it's kind of figuring out where I need to be in the next time zone and then kind of coordinating when I should sleep. Because <laughs> no matter what flight I take, it's like 10 hours or 12 hours. So mm-hmm. I can fit in like a six or seven hour sleep like anywhere in that in that area. Uh, but yeah, it's usually watch a movie. I'll bring like a switch or something like that. And, you know, whatever I'm feeling. I guess that was, uh, I guess, I guess that was a, uh, it was at least ideally some pretty decent tears of the kingdom sessions, which is for the the length of that game. Like, I guess that would be helpful to have (laughs) eight to 10 hours. I'm probably the only person who has yet to play. Wow. Good for you. You know what? Hey, everyone needs to dare to be different. And, uh, I, I appreciate it. Yeah. I I mean, I played breath of the wild, like did everything. Um, and, uh, so I just wanted to, uh, you know, work on some other stuff that was like, I hadn't played yet, like mm-hmm. an experience that was new. But one thing I always fall back on, which is that is, uh, the, the Picross games on yes. the Switch. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I clear all of them without any hints, a hundred percent. And I just get addicted until I do all of them. So that was my, actually my, my game on my trip is just work slowly working through Picross <laughs> nine. I think it is <laughs> game of the year. <laughs> Look, everyone's saying, everyone's saying it. You're just the, you know, you're the, you're the one finally brave enough to put it, put it out into the, into, yeah. Into if the I could open. find Jupiter, I would tell them also, it'd be like, this is like a religious experience for me. It's like <laughs> when I get that, when I nail that final thing and I get to see the colorized version of the, the thing I was carving out, it's just, mm-hmm. just, there's that there's that sense of of, of pride and, and just joy that i can't <laughs> no i i i really always i always uh um i have not played as much of like the flat 2d ones but i absolutely adored the 3d ones oh um, yeah 3d one on dds on ds right? yes and i've sort oh, of just were amazing i've yeah. sort of just been whole i was like look now my now my holdout is like going on a decade now, but I was like, they're gonna they're clearly gonna make another one. I thought with the switch, I was like, oh, okay, it's got a touch screen, like like maybe they're gonna bring that back. And I, I have not I have not gotten yeah. my my three. I just there was something about moving the model around that I found so satisfying. Yeah, um, it's like you, you swing it around, hold it with like the R button to like lock it in place, and then yes. just tap it out. Um, yeah, I I don't I mean I can see it working with touch, but I I feel like because it works so well with like the touch pen, mm-hmm. um, it's like tapping and precision. I feel like I'm, I'm, I wish they will, but I feel like it's a it's a lost cause of hoping for that one to come back. But <sighs> I think I'll right. take it. Uh, like <laughs> I'll, I'll hold on to it. Is is that like I don't? I want to believe. Type thing. <laughs> I should have a post in the back with like the crust 3D two. I know or you, you like and that. me. I we're out yeah. here. We're the over oh, the two people, and we're shouting for it. And we'll we'll get it one of these days. But um. Yeah. Uh, you know, obviously you have this RK challenge update coming out for, or is out as people are listening to this, um, yes. uh, for Hi-Fi Rush. Like high level, like what are people getting with the update? Uh, so it really is a gameplay focused experience. Um, there are some like mini, there is like a kind of like hidden like story little tidbit stuff in there, but it's really kind of taking our mechanics from the game and, uh and kind of seeing how far we can push them until the game breaks almost literally uh because we thought that we couldn't speed the songs past a certain point without the gameplay breaking and they actually we actually got it to go up to is 200 ppm but um so it's focused on kind of like uh it's obviously a post-game content we think normally action games the first playthrough is actually kind of learning the mechanics and you become good at them and then you want to take it and see how well you can you know use them in situations and we had a mode called Rhythm Tower, which kind of uh, was it wasn't it was bespoke situations that were more difficult. 
but uh, we wanted something that allowed people to think more on their feet or more under pressure to really sort of take advantage of um, all these sort of deep mechanics that we built in the game. And so we made two modes that focus on completely two different aspects of that. One is the uh, BPM rush, which is basically how can you act under pressure in terms of speed and reaction. And the other is uh, we call um, power up tower up, which is a almost like roguelike, very, very light rogue light version of our rhythm tower, which took that aspect of kind of putting you under very not unwinnable, but um, odds stacked, not in your favor situations and throw randomized elements. So every time you're going to have to kind of deal with some new challenge or new issue, uh, enabling you to really just understand the core mechanics and understand the enemy attacks and be able to, um, you know, just take on whatever we throw at you and not be prepared. That's the thing. You can't just prepare for it and then just go in. So, so if, um, um, there might be some people who are listening to this that don't maybe either didn't play Hi-Fi Rush or don't know music terminology, but like BPM, like w- what does that mean for when you're cranking that up for the player in the game and relative to where the game is normally at and then getting to, to 200? Like what is physically sort of happening to the player at that point? Sure. Uh, so this kind of goes into how we design the game. So actually the game will not work if a song is not playing because the entire game logic is tied to the BPM, which stands for beats per minute. So how many times is a beat in a song, which when you think is like when you normally clap your hands to a song, you're, you're thinking like that's what the beat is. Mm-hmm. How many, how many of those happen in one minute? And, um, the fastest the game goes in before this update was 160 B- BPM because we thought, Going past that, it gets a little bit too difficult. And so like I said, the game logic speeds up. So the animations will actually change because all your inputs are tied to hitting on the beat, regardless of when you input them. So by going up to 200 BPM, it's basically taking that same gameplay and speeding it up, meaning that all the actions will happen faster. So it kind of feels like there's like a fast forward button. Like you're, you're watching those very common now, Netflix, YouTube, let me watch this movie at 1.5 times mm-hmm. speed or something like that. Um, so you're basically playing a game like that and everything's on that. So the enemy attacks are always informed by game logic. So they're coming at that faster speed. You need to react to that faster speed. Your timing window for attacks is also kind of shortened for like a perfect timing and things like that. Um, so that's when you really need to kind of hone in on uh, that sort of rea- that fast reaction speed. Um, and that comes with the same enemies. I mean, we have new enemies, but they're the same enemies from the game. So they all attack with the same attack patterns. So it's kind of understanding that and knowing those tells. So then being able to just quickly knock out these like really fast, like, uh, complicated attacks, you know, parry them all counterattack, but just at a faster response time, because if you don't do it in time, you'll miss that attack or you miss that window. Basically. Did you try to go past 200? Uh, yeah, we did, I think, an early test where I think we, we, as a joke, we just, we just, <laughs> we had like a command, which was like adding like 10 BPM to like a click track to see how far it would go. And there was just a level where like, you couldn't, you couldn't physically even like press the buttons to get to do like the standard attack anymore. <laughs> yeah. And I, and so we did a couple of tests and we realized like 200 is where it's like, it's ridiculous, but not unplayable. Um, and uh, yeah, so that, that that was like a good balance. Um, so it's not that you couldn't go past it, but it 
it's actually not that fun. You just get you just get beat <laughs> up. So we're like, that's not what we want. We want you to be able to feel like you can you can beat it. So do you do you feel comfortable at the 200 BPM? Because sometimes when I've talked to developers when they're adding in sort of you know harder difficulties, they're like, look, I, even I'm not. We have QA testers that are making you know making sure it's playable. Like where where do you fall on this spectrum of being able to engage with your game at that speed? Uh myself like everyone else on the team once we had that we locked it at 200 ppm we started putting like enemy waves and we had the sort of logic of the, the game flow in there um first i was like i don't think this is possible like to beat <laughs> um but then it is very hard to explain it, unless you played it because you mm-hmm. get into this sort of zone and if you've ever played for example like guitar hero or something where you get into that zone where you're looking at that music track and then Actually, everything else like blurs around you. Mm-hmm. You just get focused on it. Um, you can you can actually do it. You can kind of like train yourself to to play at that speed. And so, almost everyone on the team had the same reaction. It's like because we ease you into it too. You don't start immediately at two hundred BPM. You start at like one thirty five. Next one's one fifty. The next wave is like one sixty. One like eighty five, two hundred. I think it is. And so you're gradually beat uh, getting up to there, and you can. The first time you play it, every time the new song starts, because it kind of sets the beat before you, it says like fight and you see the enemies spawn in, which are normally like a very difficult set of enemies. You're just like, oh my God. Um, but you get into what we would call, and we named the song one of it after we'd say the flow state mm-hmm. where you just kind of just like internalize this beat and you just can eventually get used to it. And so we saw that people on the team were like, this is impossible. This is impossible. Um, eventually they were just like, yeah, beat it. Yeah, S rank. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> so then we were then we were worried like, now is it too easy? Uh, should we make it harder? So someone hit um, that button again that makes it go ten more yeah, faster. Yeah, go faster. Yeah, go, go ten faster. Yeah. Um, but uh, but we don't know because you know I think some skilled players are going to come in. They might granted find it easy. We added an extra difficult mode for them to do it to to get more out of that mode um but we also wanted people to experience and be able to beat it so we didn't want to out like you know gate out people who maybe have an issue with uh the technical super technical aspects of the game we have a mode that they can they can play and we have difficult mode difficulty mode so there's it's stacked more in the advantage of the player to finish it and experience that that sort of high that you get from playing mm-hmm. at 200 bpm uh, yeah i feel like the I know what you're talking about in terms of like the music rhythm games. I always felt it most acutely playing like maniac mode of like Dance Dance Revolution because of the sort yeah. of like physical delay in my legs where when I would see like a maniac mode steps, it's like, well, I'm not going to be able to look at like I'm you can't do like A to B to C at some point. My body just has to take over and hit all that stuff. And it sounds like you're describing something similar with hitting like that level of speed in Hi-Fi Rush. Yeah, there's yeah, this becomes some some sort of like physical natural reaction of just sort of responding to to things. It's like the example would be like you know the Neo and seeing the Matrix type level. It is. Like, I mean, it's kind of like, hard <laughs> to describe unless you've experienced it. But you sort of like you'll make the problem with you know not problem, but like the what'll happen in modes like that is when you break or make a mistake, it can then be very difficult to like just get back into that because the moment you're thinking about what you're doing on some sort of conscious level you lose whatever whatever was getting you to that place to to begin with oh absolutely yeah um i mean a good example is if you've ever played like uh like an arcade racer that has like an extreme like boost like when the gauge fills up you like boost and just go mm-hmm. super fast 
that's kind of that feeling of where you're everything's you're going crazy you're but if you're good you're not going to hit any walls and you're, or like wipe out at like a like a high speed you know you're kind of like dodging and you, you memorize the track at that point and it's basically impossible and then uh but until you do it and then it's not impossible <laughs> the 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 thing i'll maybe alleviate on here is i i saw a tweet of yours that i thought was very funny and interesting which was you wrote uh, biggest tip of all, triple check your latency. You want to get that as low as possible for BPM rush. You might want to check your TV monitor settings and depending on how many wireless signals you have, try to plug controllers and peripherals indirectly, which seems to tell me that in testing, you must have found that sometimes you could have like surrounding interference, like literally causing issues for players and that like just being jacked right in is the best way to ensure you're you're hitting it in a way that it doesn't feel like there's anything fighting you uh, along the way. Yeah, I mean, we I pushed that message for the in the first game. I think this is the equivalent of the the movie directors coming out and being like, "What is it the 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 mo the motion smoothing mode on TVs? It's <laughs> yes, like turn yes. that off. It's <laughs> yeah. like it's like me me trying to be like you know you do know that you're inherently a lot of TVs now have these huge latency issues and all this wireless stuff just compounds it. Um, and that affects just gameplay response in general. Um, and specifically for this game or any music game, you want it to be as close as possible. Uh, so and in this BPM rush, especially the timing windows get, get harder and harder. Um, and we tested it on a ton of TVs in different situations. And no matter what able, what we were able to do internally to like compensate for that, they're just some natural issues. Like if you don't have your, your setup correct, um, that you'll get these latency issues. And we found that, you know, Realistically, it's a lot of the times it's just making sure your TV is set correctly or connecting your controller physically. Um, and, uh, I became, we all became very sensitive to that during this game compared to our, our previous games. Um, but yeah, I just think it's something that people should be aware of. And if we can kind of push that knowledge of, oh, this is a thing I should be, I should be aware of when I play my games or why this game feels bad to play is maybe mm -hmm. a latency issue also as well. If we can get that across, if we can just do that with this game, <laughs> we can save the lives of or frustrations, or we can save the stress, <laughs> lo the life loss of stress from millions of gamers out there. To it's true. Maybe, yeah, like much like if you go over to someone, you know, your neighbor's house and they got motion smoothing on and they go to the bathroom, it's like, can I find the remote and turn yes. that off? And then I did that one time and someone was like, my TV what? looks weird. And I was like, oh, no, you got used <laughs> no, to it. No, it looks right. No, yeah. you got used well, to I it. Well, I do that now. I, every time <laughs> someone goes to the bathroom, I immediately go to their 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 TVs and audio, audio systems and recalibrate everything and, and change all the wires. And they come back and nothing works. And I'm like, I don't know what happened. And it's like me holding wires in my hand. So, uh, yeah, like I said, if we could just if we can make people aware of this one issue, um, yeah, I mean, of of course, we do do some latency latency stuff on the back end to make sure that we cover for you, but uh, there's only so much we can do if your if your setting is, is if it's is fighting not, against you. There's only only so much that that you can do on your end. I get it. Um, yeah. Well, uh, congrats on uh, the success of the game. Congrats on getting uh, the challenge uh, mode update out. I'm excited to check it out uh, myself. It's uh, available now on on PC and Xbox and. Hopefully, in the future, we'll have uh, another uh, chance to chat soon. There'll be more time for, I'm sure, the request for those other Zwan songs to go through, and then we can get an update on that whenever, whenever yeah, we... Yeah, uh, I won't rest until we get the whole album on there. Yeah. <laughs> Look, if we could just... You, you and I, were going to get Picross 3D updated for Switch, and then 
We're going to somehow get the Zwan album to be on like music services because it's not. And I, I yeah. discovered this. I'm sure you've heard this, but like I discovered that after talking to you last time, I was like, you know, what? I did like that honestly song. Like I remember liking that album quite yeah, a but bit. Go, go look at their, their the video on YouTube and see all the here because of high five rust stuff. So hopefully, hopefully someone's someone's looking at those comments and be like, hmm, we should really we should think about this. Um, but yeah, but also uh, make a tweet to yourself just like you did with Celeste mm-hmm. end of the year. I know there's a lot of games this year, a lot of good games this year. Mm-hmm. I will. Don't worry. Don't for, I'm not. I'm don't forget. On- you just gotta forget keep putting out little, updates, and then, and then we'll yeah. just have another conversation, <laughs> and then I'm forced, I'm forced to put myself back in that place. But the don't forget us update in uh, November. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's just a patch that go, like, just pushes to your Xbox. It's like the yeah. game of the year patch. We're just yeah. reminding everybody There's we came out in January. Patch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just reminded you that this game is out. Yeah. All right, John. Well, once again, thanks uh, for for your time, and uh, hopefully, yeah. we have a chance to uh, chat again soon. Yeah, it's always a pleasure. One of the most normal morning routines is a bowl, some milk, some cereal. What (laughs) changes as you get older is you might want to modify what you're putting into that bowl with the milk. If you suddenly want to cut back on sugar, you want to add more protein, you're thinking about fitness goals, but you don't want to give up the deliciousness of what you're putting in that bowl, you might want to think about Magic Spoon. Uh, Because with Magic Spoon, you get all those flavors you love, high protein, less sugar, and as someone with kids, the idea that I can show them that these cereals can have all of these things and you can think about what's in your body every morning seems really good. Magic Spoon comes in a variety pack of four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. This pack has zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and four to five grams of net carbs. Only 140 calories a serving, it's high protein, has zero grams of sugar, keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, and soy free. And look, you put peanut butter in anything, I'm there, which is why that's my favorite one and I'm hiding it from my children. You can go to magicspoon.com slash remap to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code remap at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember, start the new year off right with a delicious bowl of high-protein cereal at magicspoon.com slash remap and use the code REMAP to save $5 off. Thanks to Magic Spoon for sponsoring this episode. Hey, REMAP Radio listeners, Rob here. You know, the time was I'd come up with a meal plan for the entire week, and then I'd trawl through the grocery stores making sure I had everything I needed right on budget to make those home-cooked meals. Unfortunately, times have changed, and speaking of time, I don't have quite as much of it as I used to. You know, there's a podcast I'm prior to be overseen. But I can't just order fast food and pizza delivery every night. My budget, and unfortunately my increasingly delicate stomach won't allow it. Fortunately, for folks in the same boat as me, there's Factor. Factor gives you 35 options each week to make meal planning easy. And not just for dinner. They have breakfast foods and snacks covered as well. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. But it's just as convenient delivering the food you need right to your door. And now, if you head to factormeals.com remap50 and use code remap50 to get 50% off, 
That's right. That's code REMAP50 at factormeals.com slash REMAP50 to get 50% off. And now you can head to factormeals.com slash REMAP50 and use code REMAP50 to get 50% off. That's code REMAP50 at factormeals.com slash REMAP50 to get 50% off. And we're back, and uh, now I guess we can talk about some talk about some games that are not being driven off a cliff. I hope. Uh, <laughs> Patrick and Ren, tell me about the new Remnant. It's good. I like All it. All right. Well, that you heard it here, folks. <laughs> it's good. Uh, Kata, what are you been playing? <laughs> I just, uh, Remnant is a game I'd heard a lot about. Uh, I played a couple of hours of it a couple of holidays ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I had intended to play it co-op because I'd heard it was like a really excellent game to be played co-op that it was totally fine as a single player game, but that it really excelled um, as a co-op game. And it'd been described to me by a lot of folks as kind of dark souls with guns to be reductive, even if that is not necessarily entirely, you know, descriptive of what was happening there, but just never got around to it. And then we got closer and closer to a remnant two, And it was like, well, I'll just wait for remnant uh, two. And uh, Ren and I have been playing a little bit of this early. I'd hope to play more of it than I did um, before recording this and uh, uh, hopefully have a chance to, to weigh in uh, more sub- uh, uh, substantially next week. But I Ren, I found the opening to, to the game be t- pretty b- boring. I would say bad. And so I'm glad that you're here to speak beyond. So I played like two and a half hours, right? Like I made mm-hmm. it because it takes about two hours to get to the first real area of the game where the where game good. starts. Yeah. Um, yeah, yes. Yeah. Um, because it was, I was going to feel bad if I went, came on here and was like, so this game has an all-time bad explanation of this world, yeah, really intro, yeah. explanation of the characters you're playing, the town around you. Basic mechanics are really just not explained yeah. to any substantive degree. Mm-hmm. And then I got 10 minutes into the real stuff and was like, I think this is where it's supposed to get good, but I can't say anything about that part yet. And so, I mean, I would like to spend some time on how that game starts poorly, but I'd rather at least begin with what is it like once you get to the world crystal? Because this is a game where... The world is surrounded by rot, and there's a lot of lore you that's implied. Gotta get to the, you gotta get to the world crystal, Patrick. I'm tr- I'm always trying. I wake up every day like trying to find this world Classic crystal. Classic New Yorker bullshit. You gotta go to the world. <laughs> gotta crystal. go to the world crystal. Yeah, yeah, the world crystal. I, you haven't I, even that, seen. You haven't even, you haven't even seen that burrow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And so once you get there, you get into sort of the meat and potatoes of of this game hey, you go to prometheus. What, what has that experience been like for you you go you go hang out in the film prometheus you go hang out with on on, on the set of prometheus for a while but i mean so remnant does have a bad intro the first game had a bad intro too uh i know okay. because right. i replayed it recently uh all right because i was like i'm gonna play through the beginning of the first game so i can re reacclimate myself before i go into the second I downloaded it on my little Steam Deck. I played it on my tiny device. I used the trackpad as my as my as my gun thing. Awful, awful beginning. It takes you so long to get to a cool thing. But I think that game's beginning is a little bit better than this one's in terms of just like you're fighting enemies straight away. You're you're fighting guys. It's not just cutscenes. Uh, and then 
you know, you, you, you're still exploring the world. The world is still explorable. The rot, as it's called, the like tree, fucked up tree monsters that are everywhere are still like a relatively new phenomenon. And so like people are still figuring things out versus this game, which is set like 150 years later after that, where like people, some people have gotten real chill about the post-apocalypse and your character is not one of them. Uh, and then you arrive at a place that has... You touch the world crystal, you get transported to what is, like, the actual game. The thing that makes Remnant 1 and 2, like, good is that they're, like, real pastiches of, like, who's who from cosmic horror. You know, like, what what kind of fucked up eldritch beast can you imagine? They probably put it in there. They got Swamp Guy. Everybody loves Swamp Guy. Um, Swamp <laughs> Guy's got a whole world. Desert Guy's got a whole world. Prometheus Guy, whole world. And like all well, because these- the, the world crystal lets you bounce between places, and so the game is kind of is is echoing what was much more common in video games decades ago. Is like you got your snow level and your desert level and your fire level, mm-hmm. and because especially with the rise of like games have to have connective narrative tissue, it's like much harder for games to make very solid aesthetic breaks to something else there has to be a reason like why are we going here and in remnant it's i don't know touch your fingers on the world crystal and spin it and let's see where we end up we gotta go uh and then they do and like where you go is at least in remnant 2 you go to this like world that is like very like prometheus-esque it is all like hr uh, hr geiger like fucked up machines and like lanky humanoid bodies covered in goop um, in addition to, like, the sex machines, uh, and so, and then mm. you, like, wander this, like, vast poisoned desert of, like, a post-apocalyptic world that, like, su- that's about to be sucked into a black hole, um, and so, like, the setting itself is, like, pretty neat, um, but the actual gameplay of Remnant is, like, it is a third-person shooter, uh, with a dodge roll, um, and is designed to be played in either solo or co-op, uh, and, like, really pulls from a lot of, like, the Souls lineage. Um, the thing that I really like about Remnant 2 is that, like, big area that you just got to, Patrick, has, like, five, I think five, little side dungeons in it. And those, like, side dungeons are, like, include, like, completely optional content. Uh, and all of those side dungeons were, like, a real joy for me to, like, quickly, like, adventure my way through in, like, one sitting. Like, I could sit down for half an hour or 45 minutes and play through, like, a little dungeon, uh, get to the end of it and, like, ha- find a cool new piece of gear that, like, significantly changes how I played my character. Um, and so, like, I think that, like, as, like, shooters and, like, as level-based, like, shooters with that, like, give you constant powers and upgrades, I think these are actually, like, pretty well designed so like the long game of remnant is like you get a weapon great then you kill a boss that boss drops like uh you know your standard boss material you make a cool like boss mod is what they're called Uh, and the mods basically give your weapon additional power so for like an example would be like i attached a thing to my assault rifle that makes it shoot homing rockets um like alien homing rockets right and when that you sounds very powerful and cool. I would is. love to have alien. Which class are you? I chose the handler, the one with the dog. Which is okay. I feel like I feel it's. I think it's very unfortunate that the dog is a class, uh, like the painting dog is a class, as opposed to something that all players can get. Yeah. Not everyone gets the dog. You have like you have to you choose. choose. I went with the the gunslinger. Yeah. Um. I don't know what that's called. Yeah, um, that's what it's called. Because the. Oh, okay. Because the classes here are not uh, traditional, uh, which actually made it sort of difficult for me to pick which one I wanted. I mean, there is like 
a healer. Yeah. And there is a uh, like melee or at least like short like shotgun focus character. And then once you go beyond those two, I guess there is a sniper class, but yeah. like like the, the, the gunslinger doesn't fit into a traditional archetype of a of, of a build. But I liked the idea of playing something a little bit different, especially because if like Kato and Rob and I play it next week, it's like, well, I don't know who they're going to pick. So I'm going to try and hopefully pick something that mm-hmm. that they don't. Yeah. Um, and so those mods are basically like, like what makes your weapons like special are the mods and mutators. So like you buy a base gun, like I'm going to buy a base assault rifle and then you equip it with a mod that gives it like that special ability that I mentioned. It also changes the aesthetics of the weapon to match whatever the mod is. And so like, if you equip a weapon with the, with a mod from like the Prometheus world, it turns into a Prometheus version of that gun. And so there's like a different like area based models of every single weapon, um, which I think is cute. I think that's like a fun little, I think that's a, that's a fun little detail is that like all of these weapons have like these slight variations uh, of vibe and theme, which like makes them feel a lot more distinct. And like, so your version of the assault rifle feels different from your friend's version of the assault rifle, even if they shoot mostly the same. Um, and then the the way, like the way they're deploy like the powers like the sort mm-hmm. of like the uh, what do they call the mods powers but like you actually like, is that what, so each of your mods are like the base powers that you start with no or uh, yes there you know are what I mean? some like there so this your skills are you thought are you skills, talking about skills that's what yes. I meant yes 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 like for like the part of the reason I thought the guns thing was interesting was because one of the skills I don't have it unlocked yet because I'm so early but it you get perks and bonuses based on switching between the two weapons you have while it's mm-hmm. activated. So yep. rather than sticking to, so like I, I have like a six shooter and then also an assault rifle. At least that's like the base weapons I'm starting with. And I don't have this unlocked it, but like that sounded like a fun perk to, mm-hmm. or skill to have where it's like, all right, like I have a reason to be switching between these two weapons or one of my, like the perks also, uh, or the skills function based on a single press and a long press. So like a single press for my six shooter results in like, do, 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 like all six shots come out like extremely powerful. You can't aim them that well, but they shoot out and then you got to reload or you can hold and press and then you get like a really like explosive, like single sort of concussive shot um, that makes just, it makes it a, a different kind of style of shooter, a different play style that I've, I've enjoyed so far. Yeah. And like, so my ability, my like skills so far, just like I, I can do different things with a dog. Basically there are three mm-hmm. modes the dog can be in. One of them is a healer. The other is a DPS and the other one is a tank. Uh, and so you can like tell your dog to do one of those, one of those three things. Go tank dog. Yeah. You can tell your dog to tank. And the do- you know what? <laughs> dog does a great job of tanking. Aww. <laughs> um, you know, I'll say this. My dog never died while it was tanking. Um, my the dog can't die, right? Like the dog can just become incapacitated. Yeah, the dog gets and knocked. I believe, down. I believe one of the um one of the perks you get as as part of being the handler is that if you die, your dog can resurrect yes. you. I don't know if that's like a chance Correct. or like a one time use. It's a chance. Okay. No, it's as long as you have amulets. So I get like if I uh, never use the healing items that the, like the game's Estus flasks, I just get mm-hmm. infinite. Re- I just get as many revives as my dog can like lift oh, me. Cool. Um, and so the cool thing about this game, though, is like the, the thing that makes it like unique are like the builds and the way that like different like builds emerge over time. So it's like a, a much faster version of a destiny. And in, in that way, we're like, I completed the Prometheus world. And by the end of the Prometheus world, like the items I had, I had one major item that every single time I got a shield, it would give my uh, mods those like weapon specific abilities mm-hmm. uh, an additional, I believe it was 25% damage. 
Uh, and also, they generated mod power, which is what you use to like use those abilities. Um, it's basically a resource that you charge up. You generate mod power faster. So as long as I have a shield, I'm doing more damage with my abilities, and they're charging up faster. Um, I also found a trinket that means that whenever you have a shield, I was also regening health. Then I found a relic, which is the game's like Estus Flask, and instead of using one that uh actually just healed me i used one that gave me a shield for 20 seconds and so if you combine that with the ability that heals you every time you have a shield suddenly the downside of using the shield where you no longer have a consistent source of healing goes away and suddenly now you're healing and you have a shield and you're getting additional mod power um and then the item i just found in another area is a ring that translates all of your regenerating health to mod power. And so as long as you're regenning health, you're passively generating an equivalent amount of, uh, like, uh, ability power for your weapon. And so, like, this is a build, right? My character basically operates... Uh, oh, the last thing I found was an item where if you spend 75% of your ammunition, you get a shield for five seconds. And so if you're using, like, a single-shot pistol or a six-shot revolver, you can get down to using 75% or more of your ammo pretty much instantly. And so you're always keeping that shield up. And so if you're always keeping that shield up, you're always regenerating health and always generating new mod power. And so like, that is a way that like, if I played with another group of people who are like using different items, my character functions fundamentally differently from theirs do in a way that is like, I think really neat. Uh, and I think that like the way those items interact is cool. I am making decisions about how I want these items to like interact with one another. Every time I found something, I just got to a new area. I got to the game's like second world. Every time I've picked up an item in that area, I've had to seriously look at the trinkets I have equipped to be like, ooh, but this new thing I found has a really cool effect, but I don't know if I can justify swapping it out for this other stuff. Or I have the opposite experience where I'm like, oh, on first glance, this ability that gives me plus 12% mod damage is really good. Until I realize that I have another thing that gives me even more mod damage if I have a conditional, and then I like slot something in to like get the conditional and the other thing. And so, like, in this way, it's like I, I really, really think it's like a smartly designed game in terms of like the way that like all of the like items interact with one another. And I think that they're doled out at like a really good pace. Um each one of those like little like sub dungeons I was talking about, which are like 30, 45 minutes long, mm -hmm. I was finding between like two and three trinkets um in each one of them. And so I'm like always finding new stuff, always getting like new weapons and like being able to like adjust my build to something that like I'm having a lot of fun with. Um I've like I've been like really impressed by by what I've played so far. Uh, other than the That's game's cool. intro, it, it, <laughs> which is I, I have. To, I mean, it is really bad. It, it it does just an awful job of explaining any of the stakes of the world, really the stakes of your character, like and even just like there is this game constantly wants you to be looking at a book, books everywhere, always, always. lots of books. But also, it does a poor job of signaling when the books are over. Like I have like read some of them, and like I think we're at the end. But I'll just hit right on the D-pad just to see if it, if it flips again. And then it flips to a new page. And I'm like, game, you got to have a visual indicator when the book is over. Yeah, um, a lot of and entries. There's a lot. There's a lot. Like they're in. I, I assume these uh, areas are not like proc gen and they are no. they are authored. Yes. Um, and so in the first area, you walk in 
and off to the left is 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 a, a spot where you fight enemies for the real enemies for the first time, and then it's very clearly a library or something akin to that. And there's like eight books, and I was like, look, I'm not a lore person, but I don't know much about this world. I'll spend a couple of minutes poking at a couple of these and see how much time does this game want me to do the, uh, spend with this. And it was like, I like 15 minutes in, I was like, I spent a lot of time reading these books. And there are like four more that I haven't gone through. I'm going to close these. And I and, and I don't know that I'm going to look at another one is, while I play this game. Is this for the like flesh, is this for like human world or for like Prometheus world that you're talking about finding these books? Uh, it was in Prometheus world, but there was also yep. one in flesh world where you meet the doctor for the first mm-hmm. time. And she has a journal that's off to the side. It's like, I want to learn a little bit about the, the patients and the people in this town. And there's like 30 stories in that book. <laughs> I got to number 20. And, you know, it's it's none of them are particularly interesting or striking. And there would be no fault. There'd be no fault for the writing if they weren't stacked together so in such a way, you know, like in such a way. It's like, like it was just a two, two or three one off entries. Like, well, there's, there doesn't have to be a lot of weight to this lore or this storytelling or this world building. Mm-hmm. But like, if you're asking me to read this for 20 minutes, I need a. A little more meat to it, but it sounds like I mostly can I kind of just toss out this poor onboarding yeah. and intro. I mean, even just it was sort of frustrating that I there's no real chance to play with the classes no. to like have a sense of like what would this be fun? And and I do know that I was I was because I was like, did I make a mistake? Am I not going to want to be the gunslinger? And there I don't know when it comes up, but there isn't there isn't a t- you can't actually. Yeah. I think they're called archetypes is like the yeah. class structure in, in this game. And there is an opportunity to change those if you would like to go in a different direction. But I just wish there was a better like what happened in the last game? Um, what are the what's happening in this world? And also, why do I want to be this class? And, and the game just doesn't have it's a very jumbled intro. But it sounds like once you're in the thick of it, which is the part that I'm literally about to start, that it gets it gets to the stuff that people constantly were praising Mm-hmm. remnant for being which is like a surprisingly competent and enjoyable shooter that like shines in both single player and co-op and has a deep level of customization mm-hmm. that is satisfying and that's like literally what you just described yeah yeah no exactly and i just had to get through the intro and be like i have uh, i don't i d- here's the thing i love game narratives i love them so much i i can mm-hmm. i i it, but the problem is playing remnant feels like someone who like watched dark souls but somehow came away from it thinking that every object had a short story in its lore entry as opposed to three lines. <laughs> or, like, yeah. everything you find in this game has, like, three paragraphs letting you know who fucked with it, what it does, kind of, uh, what it's made of, what kind of energy it interacts with. Lots of kinds of energy in Remnant. Um, <laughs> lots of kinds of energy. Um... And so, like, there's just there's just so much of of everything that it's like, kind of kind of like disorienting, um, like just how much writing there is. And so I've kind of like, I've I've not been looking at much of it because there's just so much, and I just yeah, it's what's well, hard can't. for me to you know like it at least in the the from uh like their approach is, I mean obviously they spend a lot of time and care in what could be called ancillary uh, world building. But it also is not forwarded to you as the player. Like, it is like, it's here. We spent a lot. It's very carefully curated and written. Um, and here it feels 
very shoehorned in and and like I, I can't and also as a player I can't figure out what I should be prioritizing like what what of this text is worth me engaging with and seeing all the way through what is this stuff that I can kind of put to the side um, unless I'm like very interested in like knowing more about this particular part of the world and that's what I can't yeah I've been unable to parse in in the opening hours and it sounds like it doesn't doesn't change that much going further in but I, you know I don't know that people were here for the the world what? and the storytelling to begin with I don't know I, that, that's what I don't know about the original uh, remnant I think people do like these worlds I think that like the worlds okay. are evocative they're very evocative they're very good at like giving you a tone it it feels kind of like playing through like different it feels like playing through an album almost where like the details of like an individual world kind of like slip away from me but like they do cultivate a vibe when you're like mm-hmm. in the swamp world you're like yeah I'm in swamp and then you go to Prometheus Town and you're like, that's a gross alien. Uh, <laughs> cool plague. Uh, I'm sorry that happened to y'all. Uh, but like, it, it feels like there are times when I was playing through the first area, like major area, uh, this Prometheus world. And I was like, I feel like I'm playing through a heavy metal album cover right now. And I love that's that. Great. I love that feel. I love that yeah. feeling of like, ooh, I'm going through a desolate wasteland. And like this 30 to 45 minute little dungeon is like gonna like entertain me for a while uh, and like have a cool little like mechanic to it or, um, you know, uh, a fun little like bit of level design that I can like sink my teeth into for a bit and then like move on to the next area. Um, I've been playing it in a very snappy way. Excellent. Well, I'm looking forward to getting to that part of it and I, I'm 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 hopeful to have the same arc that you had because uh, i do want to commit to this one because of just the sheer amount of praise i heard all the time for for the original so i'm i'm hoping this one lands in my heart the same way patrick so you uh did oxen free two pick up for you did you did no, you finish strong no <laughs> no God i'm not it. mad i'm disappointed i i i uh the way i put it i think in the remap newsletter earlier this week was I think my time would have been better spent replaying the original game. Um, and I mean, I mean that like two ways. One, uh, the, uh, hmm, how do I say this? There are some things that happened that I, I, w- I think would have emotionally landed more had I spent Do you remember time. that single thing? Yeah. Um, yeah. And the problem is like when I, I, I genuinely tried before I started Oxen Free 2, it was like, I read a wiki. I was like, well, that didn't land any of the emotion of the characters. That just gave me a plot summary of this time loop story. And I was like, there's got to be like a f- 10 minute, 15 minute, like what happened in Oxenfree? And instead, there was just a lot of videos. I'm sure this video does exist. In my cursory looking, it was like, but it was a lot of 45 minute theory videos. And that's cool. I don't, I just want to know, like, why did I care about those characters again? Can someone walk me through my emotional beats from six years ago? And I just could not find that. And I, I do think it would be, it is probably worth your time to replay the original game before playing this for plot reasons. It is not reliant on the original. I will say that you can't, you can play Oxygen for two start to finish and have a complete experience, but it will benefit from having an emotional attachment to characters from, from the original. Um, And then furthermore, I just didn't, it just felt like more oxen free. I did not like what we were hoping for, Rob, where it's like, all right, maybe these they don't set up these characters particularly well, but we'll spend more time with them, learn more about their backstories, and it'll land. And it lands better, but I don't I, I just kind of came out of it feeling extremely flat. And I, I found that to be a bummer. I really wanted to like this game. I like so much about the approach of this studio, how they write. 
the vibes, the music, like the atmosphere of like this particular slice of world. But and it's not bad. It is in no, it is not a waste of time. It is just sort of I played it. And a year from now, I'm not going to be able to tell you anything about it. And sometimes experiences like that are okay. I just had a higher estimation of what I would get out of revisiting Oxenfree, you know, six years later. Like when we first talked about that game, it sort of shocked me that it was that long between the first and the second. And this feels very much, uh, oh, right, Oxenfree was a success. Like, let's make another one of those. Like, in a in a good way, it's like people liked it. Let's tell another story. But like six years later, I guess I just expected a little bit more. And even lacking that, the characters just didn't just didn't land for me uh, in the same way. And like, there's some easy catnip here. There's parental, child, trauma, and like distance between All parents that and kids. Stuff. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. this is just like ooh, like I'm ready to cry. And uh, and and some of it worked, a lot of it didn't. Um, um, distinct lack of tears in the Club of Castle. Distinct lack of tears. Game. Yeah, yeah. I will. I mean, I will say, video games have a harder time extracting it from me than the same story told in different mediums for some, for some reason games have a harder time getting to me there. But um, I think it's because I have to be actively engaged with a controller and whereas with a movie or a television show, I can just sort of watch what's, what's unfolding. But uh, yeah, it's again, not bad, but not what I expected or wanted from Oxenfree too. Um, and so if you are curious again, go back to the first one and in, and then like zip into the second one. I think, I think Oxenfree two would actually be a much better game if you had if you're just if you're just drafting off of the original game as opposed to coming into it completely blank like my head empty six years later like you and i have been rob but if you find time to get to the end i'd be curious if it lands for you the same same way but we seem to be tilting in the same direction when we talked about it last week yeah i mean look it's not a great sign when with a little bit of free time this weekend i was like <laughs> oxen free too or really clean those kitchen cabinets. Oh and no! Reorganize that stuff. Maybe oh, this is no. the, maybe this is how I should spend this day. That's how I know my time with a game is done. Yeah. That's yeah. I mean, hang on, though. I do like organizing things. So you know, I mean, it wasn't <laughs> like you know, it's not like I lost out to watching paint dry. It lost out to reorganizing organizing cabinets, which is like <laughs> a solid C tier, B tier experience. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But yeah, it was it, like it just it, it, it isn't it isn't grab it, it didn't grab me. Uh, I'm, I'm definitely going to go back to it. I want to want to see how it delivers. But yes, I'm struggling with the um, I don't know. But Patrick, just give, here's here's the thing. Like in just the opening hours, like mm-hmm. I think part of it for me is what's the first game about? It's not about the fucking mystery of the island. The mystery no. of the island is a backdrop for the relationships. It's mm-hmm. a, it's a backdrop for like there are things these people have not talked about and there are conflicts that they have not addressed and feelings that they have not really even allowed themselves to fully feel and uh, experience. And what makes Oxenfree work is that the entire game has like the spooky vibe happening around it. And you do have like the, there is an eeriness to the game. But it is mostly serving as a stage to have these characters get to the heart of what are some interesting relationships that are set up. And I think the the thing that alarmed me really, like, alarmed me about the setup for Oxenfree 2 is you got characters with no real context with each other. And, you know, they're kind of getting to know each other. 
but that also means there is no you know, in the opening hours, like there, there's no interesting stakes in these relationships. There's no sense of there are things that are going to be drawn out that are happening between the characters here. Um, and instead, it's a lot of, hey, you want to talk about the mystery of this island, right? And no, I, mean, I will not say really. this, this, this doesn't, you know, fall into the the common sequel trope of a mystery, especially in sci fi where it's like, all right, time to explain what's going on. Like, it doesn't. Like, that's yeah. that's not where this goes. It, it It is still, I would say, broadly a frame, a sci-fi framework to, or supernatural framework to tell stories about relationships. And so I think, I think that remains true right. to what the storytelling they're doing here. And I will say, to the game's credit, like, what it sets up as the final moments, like the final choice uh, for your character or a set of characters is like really powerful individually. And if I describe them to you, I think you would go, damn, how do we get there? And I just think the journey to getting there didn't feel as powerful as the moment uh, itself as described on paper. Like there is, again, I don't want to say too much about what is set up for like this, this kind of climactic moment, but if you explain the motivations of all three characters um, and, why they're there, what's in front of the player. You go, whew, that's heavy. I'm like, it is heavy. And I just don't, for some reason, the journey to that moment, um, it didn't help that that moment land as hard as, like, the the moment, like, would seem if you were to describe it um, to someone. Um, because it does, it does set up really meaningful stakes for these characters by the end. I think what's missing, I think it's maybe, maybe this is the disconnect uh, that I have with this one, that you keep uh, discussing, Rob, is we really liked the fact that the characters had interpersonal relations with one another, mm-hmm. and that was really key to what made Oxenfree work for us. And here, none of the characters you meet have any relationship with one another, other than being tangential, right? Like, we went to high school together, but, like, oh, we were in one class, and I, like, noticed your hair. It's not, it's nothing concrete. And they they achieve, uh, you know, a form of a relationship by the end, but I, I feel like the arc of getting there was not as powerful for the story that was being told in the way that it was happening in Oxenfree, where you started with just like these characters were closely knit together as friends in high school, uh, I think. Yeah. Um, so I, th- I think that might be like, I think that might be the heart of what is causing this disconnect for for us. Um, and they achieve some level of that by the end. But yeah, it just broadly just didn't, it just didn't land for me in a way that I find to be a a huge bummer because it was a game I, I really wanted to come out of being being like, hey, this is one of my favorite games of the year. Uh, and instead, I mostly wanted to to play the, the original again sometime. Yeah, that that's that's too bad. Uh, we didn't get to emails last last week, but we have a stack of them. Uh, so if you, if you have questions you want to send us, send them to questions at remapradio.com. Uh, let's dig into them here, uh, starting with this one from Doug. I feel like this is probably stemming from an aside we had about Alan Wake. Greetings, mappers. I feel like you lot would not be surprised to learn of a bright flashlight enthusiast community. Yes. I only watch from the sidelines, occasionally purchasing some of the less expensive little lights. But you can go crazy with a portable inundation device. Portable inundation device. Hmm. Portable inundation device. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what? 
I don't know what that is. That sounds that sounds like an odd name for a light. From giant spotlight cannons to rival the uh, to rival stadium lighting to tiny pocket sized suckers that can still light a sheet of paper on fire. I guess question for you a lot is what enthusiast communities do you hover around? I mean, well, hang on, I, I need to look up. So horrible oh, inundation. Never seen the kind of like flashlight that like there's a video like there's a pretty popular TikTok of a dude like yes. standing on like the twentieth floor of a hotel, yeah yeah yeah, yeah 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 yeah, turning on a flashlight and no. lighting up the entire block below him. What? What? Yeah, these they shouldn't exist. Like like <laughs> like they they're getting close to the point of like oh this could like kill someone. Uh, flashlight lights up the entire. So floor. Alan Wake is real. Like you could be out there okay, with a special at, flashlight that's like I'm activating overdrive mode. So look, this isn't the one that Ren is talking about, but uh, if you go to about halfway through this video, a little bit more, it's more like three fourths. Uh, you will see a demonstration. Forty seconds in, you will see a demonstration of the kind of flashlights we were talking about. Oh, wow, this <laughs> light, this thing has fans. Uh, Wait, yes. whoa, whoa. Mm-hmm. So he turned up the lights to his room, and then I thought he turned them back on, but it was just a flash. Oh my <laughs> fucking God, what he's doing to the forest creatures. Yeah. yeah, this is nothing. This is this is nothing. This is a small version of the bigger one. Oh, it sounds one. like a gaming PC, too. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, this is this is the little one, um, which is just disgusting. Oh, um God. I, I've there's there's where's the I'm trying to find see if I can find the TikTok of the dude ho, flashlight hotel TikTok. I need me one of these. I need yeah, I need I, you know what you know what be, to be in the wood. You, you ever be in the woods after after dark? It sucks. Yeah, this is it with this a normal flashlight. Nah, yeah, that's because it's meant for the creatures with their nocturnal vision. Sometimes you want to walk to a reservoir at night. And you want to you, you should Kato, if you turned this flashlight on you would you would legitimately do harm to creatures. <laughs> okay, if I, yeah, so this oh is the video. Oh my. This is god. it. Oh my fucking god. What the yeah. fuck? It is the size This is comically large. He keeps it on for about He's, 5 seconds. Oh. He's not going to po- po- point the flashlight to the ocean because of the sea turtles. That is responsible behavior. Take note, Kato. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I just need the but small... But the rest of Nables... Oh my god. Yeah. What's what that, the fuck? It I makes believe... the police searchlight helicopters look like nothing. Yeah. Yeah. That's so buy... fucked. Oh my god. Can you just buy these? Like on... Is this what's on Alibaba? Probably. It feels like it should be illegal. Like it doesn't seem like it should be a, a product that a what does a consumer, an, an average so, person, need with I think that flashlight? I think the small one could be good for go because there are like a normal flashlight doesn't do shit in the middle of the woods. You're fucked out there. It sucks. <laughs> I think maybe maybe I haven't maybe I there's a, a so this is, okay. I've become like a light pollution. I've been, become radicalized against light pollution. Yes, okay, I'm like different though. Yes, Rob, we need, into your we hate. need like there's too many fucking street lights. I'm sorry, like if you've got like garage floodlights that are just like on overnight, you're against the wall at dawn. 
That's yeah. that's just that's just my view. Um, that's fine. Yeah, no, I, I I hate all this. If you're like in 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 society in like a city or whatever or like the suburbs and the lights go out, it's actually kind of nice. You know, okay. I get that. There's pavement. There's places you can see. But if you're in the fucking woods where it's dense, this is the only way I really need this. It fucking you can't see like. You know, five feet in front of you because yes, of the fucking can. underbrush and bullshit. Maybe just realize you're not supposed to be there instead <laughs> well, of bringing an industrial flashlight. Why are you going to the reservoir in the middle of the night to see the? Sorry, sometimes your body's see, gotta disappear to see <laughs> to see <laughs> what, Kato? Because it's one of the only dark sites in the state where I can go see some fucking meteors. Oh wait! Oh oh wait! Wait! So Kato needs their precious dark sky time. But along well, the way, they are just going to douse the entire space. It's okay. scary. So no, no, no. Here's the, here's the no, thing. There's the smaller one. I feel like is concentrated enough that it'll just lead me and my friends out of the forest, and that'll be fine. The big one is fucked. No one should have the big one. The the big one is that is like an entire suburb block, which is longer than a regular block, completely lit up, and that is scary. Yeah, no, I mean, this is this is like this is this is like me uh, where it's like, yeah, my car shouldn't have a speed limiter. Uh, but what? obviously, like people mm-hmm. driving around an SUV, mm-hmm. that thing's too big and heavy and should be like topped out at like 40 miles an hour. <laughs> uh, no. So so here here's the thing, Kato, I, I would say mm. is that you need to let go your dependency on artificial lighting to navigate at night and you need to work you need to let see how thick (laughs) let just let your pupils dilate it takes several minutes to fully adjust to how how dark things are out there and like you'll be surprised how much pitch black begins to resolve into legible detail if you just give if you just this give is, this is your the oem eyeballs oh yeah my uh, oem time, eyeballs are time, fucked. To, time to work Here's the is the thing is and this is the only reason that like I know this for sure is that the point was we were supposed to go out there to watch uh meteor shower and so I had I had let my eyes like and then we started to walk back and I was like I can't see two fucking shits in front of me like I I felt like I was gonna run into roots and die or something I don't know but it was just like it was more than pitch black it felt like and it's just like I, I i have particularly bad dark vision like i like look my I, so eyes I, are really bad at night so i once got extreme i i took a walk um years and years ago i was like at a place in door county and i was like it's a beautiful night sun's going down i don't know these woods but i'll bet i can make it back to the <laughs> hotel before dark don't know where this trail goes, and I took off. And the thing that I really hadn't counted on was the fact that they'd been logging uh, through a huge swath of the trail. So I entered a huge oh. clearing where I was like, "Uh oh, where's the path?" Because <gasps> like for you know half mile in every direction, you can yeah. just walk in any direction. But like, where does the path come in? Where does it go out? And that's when I realized, like standing in that clearing, it was getting dark in the clearing. And the tree line was like pitch black. Uh, So I go in, I I pick a direction, I start going. Because the nice thing was, if you sort of followed the lake, I would eventually get back to to where I was. Okay. That's not horrible. It was extremely dark. Yeah. And I was sort of like traipsing through. Yes. Like 
terrified because there's all those little drops of like it's like missing a stair where you're just like oh okay just like sort of plummeted an extra you know foot longer than i expected uh but yeah the moment that was really kind of scary was when i realized i had almost just walked off a bluff into lake michigan because it was so dark and the trees went right up to the to the rocky outcropping that like i went to take a step and then i was like oh that water is really loud and I, I wait a beat and I sort of like lean out from between a couple trees and I'm like, that's the fucking lake. <laughs> no. Oh, my uh, God. Yes, that was that was that was kind of gnarly. But, yeah. you know, after like, here's the weird thing. After like another 20 minutes, suddenly I like lived in this world of gloom where I could sort of scrabble along uh, <laughs> low to the ground and sort of pick out the detail of what was around me. And I navigated, I navigated back by that, mm-hmm. by, uh, you know, by, by, mm-hmm. by the, by the half light of the forest gloom, just cause, just cause like my eyes finally adjusted. And I was one with the night. Rob became a creature of the night. <laughs> how, what's, how bad's your, how bad's your prescription? Have you ever uh, compared numbers? My pres- uh, I don't have, <laughs> I don't have my numbers on me, but I will say it's, uh, it's correctable to better than 2020. Um, and yeah, that's how you know you're, that's how you know you're strong right there with you, Rob, right there. Yeah. With, I stand, I stand alongside you. Well, I did you- before the ocean took my glasses from me, but other than when ocean <laughs> took them from me this weekend, I stand with you. Uh, so you can, you, that you can buy, uh, can you buy glasses online? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I you don't live that I, life. I cannot. Uh, that's that is yes, that is tough. Like if if you have like uncorrectable vision <sighs> to a point, and then your you, you know your your eyes aren't going to pull that much detail for sure. Uh, but can I throw out, mm. Kato? What you need is not ridiculous flashlight. Yeah. What you need is night vision headgear. Okay. Well, that that that'll work too. That'll there work even can, better, honestly. You can leave the animals alone. <laughs> yeah. You can see them. Ooh. And like, you know, then you could be the guide to your party. Raid Master Kato, but IRL. Where it's like everybody like Follow me. You could you could be like it could be like rope children. Yeah, single file adults who want to see meteors. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Uh no, you're right. That's that's the that's the real solution. This is just this is actually honestly kind of reminded me of just like I also hate because of this, I hate I hate driving at night on like no on low visibility you know, like no street light roads. Um, but mostly because nobody fucking turns off their high beams when they're coming at you. And like they oh have time. God. They have fucking time. No, well so like, but also <laughs> such a huge problem is what are high beams anymore? There are so many <laughs> headlights that their default settings are incredibly bright. Like this is the whole problem of like OLEDs were supposed to uh like LED lighting uh, was supposed to basically cut down on the cost of like lighting, but instead uh-huh. it turned into what if we just made everything ridiculously bright? But then you need to make things brighter and brighter to punch through uh, the like already overwhelming amounts of like. You know, now you're driving a car. Your eyes, your eyes aren't adjusted at all. You can't see anything beyond the cone of your headlights, and yeah. so everything just needs to keep getting brighter so you can see. No, I hate it. I, I actually had a rental this last time when I went to vacation last week uh, that had the, a great thing that I feel like every car should have. It's just like had automatic head uh, like high, high beams. So the yeah. second it, the second it, uh, another car was coming and it 
recognize that light yep. coming towards us. It just turned them turned them down. I was like, this is wonderful. None of the other cars. Never, your, even some even of your fancier ones will like adjust the angle of the lights so they will like flick down and not like blind other cars as right. they approach short of high beams. Right. I mean like lit- more down toward the road. Yeah, literal the different like the literal high beam like yeah. what it used to be. But like the brighter, it, yeah. It it absolutely just like no one on the other end. I never saw a single car like drop there. So it's just, I hate I hate no. it and then I it's almost it's worse than it's worse than like driving in pitch black. Like I don't even mind it if it were, no. weren't for the fact that the other cars end up just blinding me and yes. I can't see anyways. Right. It's like it's a it's like a, it's a stretch of blacktop. The reflective things on the road should be enough to guide you, but since yeah. you're getting blinded all the time, the road <laughs> just turns into a black void Ugh. and you can't see. <laughs> the worst. So th- this is the thing. Like so much of this is also driven by. Um, you know, people f- feel vulnerable in the darkness. So there's like this motion of we need to make this the space feel safer. So we're going to add more light. But I always find that they actually tend to get more menacing because you like you're trapped in these pools of light that you can't yeah. see out of. Like anything could be on the could be beyond the cone of light because now like every doorway, every corner, like all of it is just like the void anything <laughs> could be lurking there whereas like a dimmer overall light level it's like yeah i can see things it's dark but i can see and yeah. instead now everything is like we're gonna put a series you're gonna navigate from like spotlight island to spotlight island uh and in the meantime it's going to destroy wildlife patterns anyway point is uh death to light pollution <laughs> shifty disco writes Howdy, remappers. Recently, we lost power for a week due to a storm, and as such, threw out everything in our fridge. The only fun thing about this is that I have a completely blank slate for condiments and other fridge-dwelling staples. No more abandoned bottles of hot sauce and sad jars of six mediocre pickles weighing me down. What would your (laughs) ideal fridge lineup be if you were to start over? I'm so excited to do this. Oh, Oh, my God. I... In just what time is it? Four oh eight. Four oh seven p.m. <laughs> on July nineteenth, two thousand and twenty-three, and in just a month and a half, I will be completely removing every single fucking object from the fridge in my new apartment, and then I will be washing every single piece of fucking glass in that fridge. <laughs> Because my girlfriend's roommate puts something in that fucking fridge that makes all the water taste weird. What? No, no. What? Have you never encountered that? Have you never encountered this? Have you never encountered someone who like puts shit in the fridge and then just leaves it to the point where like Uh, like, like the 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 smell gets into the water? The smell gets into the water. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It sucks, doesn't it? Yeah, it sucks, doesn't it? I need to know what is the. What? 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 Sorry. Earthy. Kato, you're going to put a caution warning before this entire discussion, sure. right? Yeah, 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 yeah. We, we should. We should. We should. Earthy. Earthy. Okay, that's not what I want. That's not what I want. Okay. Uh, so, yeah. Everything in there takes on the smell, takes on the, like, light taste. It's, it's not good. It's not. Yeah. I've had to clean. Like, uh, here's how bad it is, Rob. I cleaned out that fridge. We did a day where, like, yeah. I looked at my girlfriend and I was like, this is untenable. We're removing things from this. Um, and we did. And the smell was still there. 
which means that it's like seeped into the bones of the fridge. Yeah. Which means that it requires like a deep cleaning in order to Are you to serving from like a Brita filter? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I will say some days like the thing that uh, the they water will smell weird to me, so. but it'll be because like rainwater inundated everything. So they did like increased treatment chemicals, yeah. uh, which can be a little frustrating. But yeah, like for me, the big thing is. Well, this is especially made worse by the fact that I can't open one of the fridge doors all the way because mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. there's a wall. And so you kind of got to like weirdly slither in toward the back of the fridge to get, get access to it. And so like there's the there's the front layer where all the useful stuff that you want to deal with is. And then there's the second layer, which might be a week old. Mm. It might be a month old. <laughs> Who knows? It's been so long since we were able to really plumb back to that third level of like, what is this? You know, this is behind two things now. What's what's going on back here? And it's like, I remember you, but when did you show up? And I, I, I dream about like, you know, it's, it, it's sort of like, you know, when I think about my refrigerator, I think of Johnny, uh, not Johnny Cash, just Trent Reznor's hurt. Uh, you know, <laughs> if I can start again a million miles away, that's me with a blank fridge. That's me with an empty <laughs> fridge is like, if I could just do all this over again, what would it be? And I think the big thing would be like. I would probably get okay with just like, I bought this thing of sauce for a recipe. There are no other recipes that I currently know of that I'm going to deploy this sauce or this condiment. It's going in the trash. What we're not going to do is put it in the back to take up space and then reemerge like a year later with Mm -hmm. me wondering like, what are you? Are you still good? Should you smell this way? Yeah. See, this is, I think, Rob, I think you're right. Well, mm, <laughs> I actually, I'm the kind of person who at this point, I don't think I'll even get the condiment. If, if I see a recipe where it's like, I need one thing that only I need forever. No, not fucking with that. Not fucking with that food. I can find something else that will have a similar flavor profile that will not require me to get an evil condiment. I will not let that fucker become my yeah. problem. Yeah. It'll no, live that's- over there. Or is, I'll become a fucking chef with that one goddamn condiment. Yes, yes, exactly. It's like, you know, actually, that's but that always seems logical. But the minute you're like, so how to use up the rest of this weird condiment or ingredient or or spice or something, you end up in a whole different different rabbit hole of like now somehow you've got now five new weird condiments, uh, and it just yeah. it doesn't it doesn't end. Yeah. Uh, pa- Patrick, what are your what are your fridge necessities? Where it's like you just need to delete everything else. Here's the here's the stuff that we need. And everything else is just getting in the way of a good life. I mean, though I don't run into this problem of things perpetually existing because like the moment things go in, things have to come out. Like our fridge is not especially big, and so between me, my wife, the kids, like it gets like there's not time to like. I'll just see what happens when that thing goes in the back because it's like a conveyor belt. Like Mm -hmm. you go to put the next thing in like the kid's milk. It's like, there's no room for that. Okay. Well, that thing's coming out. And so we end up shifting through things awfully quick because there is just not space for a year later. The thing that this, I don't run into this a lot in in my own fridge, but my, uh, my mom is uh, incapable of remembering what she put in the fridge at our lake house. And oh, no. she will always just err on the side of, well, I'll just get that again. Put that up at the lake house. And we went up, we went up there 
I don't know, six months ago and no one had been up there in a little while. And that's always a got to get got open that fridge. Like, <laughs> don't know who's been here. Had guests been here and get, did the guests assume that like the fridge would be cleared out by a family member? Like all that. So you got to just the fridge is the first thing you tackle when you get there. And one of my friends that had come up with was like, wow, six mustards. And you may be thinking to yourself, six <laughs> kinds of mustards. No, 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 no. <laughs> six yellow mustards. Oh, because no. my mom would just like put it in there and go, well, I'll get rid of that. Like, I'll go to that one. I'll go to the front and then I'll throw out that one at the back. Just never did any of those things. And so frequently <laughs> going up into that, that fridge is the, that fridge is closer to the experience all of you are describing is like i don't know what's in here and i need to check the expiration dates smell it and the water stuff has absolutely happened in there one time i went up there it wasn't the fridge and we could not figure out what smells so rancid um and it's a lake house sometimes people will not go there for months and so you do have to entertain the possibility that like an animal or something oh yeah like has caused an issue um and looked around, nothing obvious, nothing obvious. Cleaned the fridge out. Garbage disposal, that's a, that's a common one, oh, right? Yeah, Someone yeah, puts yeah, them yeah. in the garbage disposal, doesn't yeah, touch it. composter if you don't touch it. Yep, just rots, and then you got to go do some work on that. And finally, I happened to look where like a little portable speaker usually is, on top of the fridge. And on top of the fridge oh, no. is a pizza box. No. Inside that pizza box... Are things you well, at one point describe. it was a pizza. <laughs> what happens to a pizza after months? I mean, it's something. And I like, quickly looked looked at that. I was like, oh, that's what is so fucking you, rancid. It is a pizza that's been sitting out like as though it was at a college dorm. Yeah. But it's sick. But it's like three months later. <laughs> you open it up and said, "Oh, there's a peat bog in here, not a yeah. pizza." It was bad. It was bad. Now, granted, we got it out of there, and it was really like ah, like a toxic fog has lifted. <laughs> um, and to this day, the the two people responsible refuse to fess up to who's who's actually responsible. Wow. Like I know the pe- I know the two people. Yes, and yeah. but someone and one of the guests, and the guest blame, blames my brother. My brother blames the guests, and. Look, motherfuckers! I don't care who left the pizza up there, but somebody well, did. Well, it's it wasn't not your me. brother. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I, it's the like. It doesn't matter if your guest fucked up; it's not their home. Like I they, agree. you can't have to remember this stuff. You got to do the I final agree. check. I agree. I that is that is where I landed as well. Um, and uh, but instead, I took the pizza out, and I've never gotten an apology for it. But wow. I just I don't recommend uh, looking at a three month old pizza as a science experiment. Don't recommend it. Leave that. Throw that shit outside. <laughs> there are so. I will just say MK has the stronger stomach and sometimes there are situations where I'm like, I think there's something going on back there and I can't handle it. And she's like, all right, I will get to that when I have have a couple hours to don all the PPE and just just deal with it. Yep, I'm the person I'm that person in my household. Uh, the the former housekeeper kicks in, and I'm just like brain off, hand in goop. Yep. Regrettably, <laughs> our household is uh, who bought it. Did you buy it? Oh, wow, Without, did that's you, good. That's good. Did you okay. not have a fucking no, plan feel, to just, use it? That up? just feels then like just, there's be so many accusations and incriminations though around that. Mm-hmm. There will be like little no, like it'll be like twelve me. angry men, but for like expired <laughs> groceries. 
Like we we know we know part of part oh, of oh so part, you think so you think Christina is the only one who would who would buy this who who even knows where to buy <laughs> this jelly and then like yeah. flings the identical matching like thing of jelly down <laughs> down on the table everyone's like holy shit <laughs> shit but I saw uh, you eat the doorknob burrito <laughs> and so yeah I love the doorknob burrito it was delicious grabbing the people you live with. Shaking them hard. Whose emoji donut is this? Kato is more afraid of walking through a a forest than they are of eating a doorknob burrito. And I just feel like that says a lot about a person. I can't I can't see the germs on the doorknob burrito, burrito, but I I know that there's creatures in the forest. Sorry, I forgot about the lore. The burrito lore. I was like, is this a thing now? People are like, it's the latest craze sweeping the nation. <laughs> door Kids knob burritos. The criminal, the uh, the criminal minds of the SVU meme of like it's called. They're called doorknob burritos. <laughs> oh, Ice T explaining what a doorknob burrito is. To us. <laughs> All right, so th- this comes in because this is something I hadn't, uh, I had not fully internalized the logic of how all this goes. Uh, <laughs> what is this t- t- headline? Taco Bell customer calls out chain for putting doorknob in nachos. Oh, excuse me. Christ. Yeah. I find that. I, I googled doorknob burritos and I just wanted to see what it gave it back to me. I know oh that Google won't tell me how old the universe is anymore, but it will feed me a Fox News article about <laughs> a Taco Bell item. Oh, sorry. Uh, continue. So Ryan writes, uh, "Have you ever encountered a piece of media about a game that is unfortunately misunderstood a mechanic, whether it be reviews, articles, or the like?" For Aliens: uh, Dark Descent, I was. Considering buying the game and seeing it sit comfortably around 90% on Steam, uh, I threw that little bugger in the count, but I did the responsible thing and read reviews before giving more money to our Lord and Savior Gabe. However, reading said reviews, particularly the negative ones, I noticed the trend of complaining about your squad's barks, and in particular, the frequency of them and how importantly, a few didn't seem to fit the scenario, but these issues wouldn't bother me, so off I went. After playing for 10 or so hours, I understand the complaints and will add the developers have patched it to reduce the amount of insert generic, ooh, rah, autoflatio, I'm a marine here, uh, barks that you get when moving. However, the second half of the complaint was specific about lines such as they've spotted us or they're headed our way and how these lines would play throughout, uh, would play even though the squad hasn't been spotted and is for all intents and purposes safe. However, as Ren would say, I'm a weird little guy. Specifically, I'm a weird little Mentat gremlin who positively thrives off complete data sets. And when the game said, here's a little motion sensor you can slap for free everywhere you want that will reveal all enemies within a decent radius, I filled out every map uh, with, so that every square inch was monitored and I knew where every enemy was at all times and was able to pick up uh, that those specific barks are actually telegraphing enemy map changes. Just as an aside, people have not played the game. That is an enormously expensive strategy. Every time you deploy one of those little motion trackers, you're spending a wrench. And so basically lifting full fog of war across the maps is you're making a choice, uh, a, a bold choice. I, I tend to just like let it ride. But this is this is how Ryan ends up discovering in the case of they've spotted us. It means additional enemies have spawned on the map. 
they're headed our way, signals an enemy's set path either will bring them near the squad or is changed to do so, or another one being it's quiet, too quiet, meaning most slash all enemies have despawned. While the game doesn't outwardly say what these barks mean, it is just the game trying to tell the player in its own way that the map state has changed, but unfortunately... It was undiscovered and then complained about by some players, which I honestly don't blame them for. Above all, I find it really just unfortunate. Uh, this resulted in a number, though thankfully few negative views, that were really nothing more than just misunderstandings. So there's a little bit of, I need to get the truth out about Aliens Dark Descent to this email. I will I'll just, I'll just say that. Uh, but I do think it's an example of... Here's, here's the problem with this approach. If these if these cues are supposed to be informative, I think they need to make some sort of like intuitive sense to you. And the, and the mm-hmm. problem is you're sitting there with your motion tracker and you're controlling your little squad around that game. They can't they shouldn't know what any of the aliens are doing. You know, what right. I mean, if, if the aliens are not in line of sight, they shouldn't have any sort of meta knowledge of map state to tell the player. And so there's no reason you would expect that, you know, the. The 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 barks that this is being sourced from are all tied to context that is meant to clue you in on what's going on as as a player. Like when I heard like I I certainly never internalized that it's quiet, too quiet meant that the map is empty. I just assumed it would be something that played when there hasn't been an encounter in a few minutes, mm-hmm. implying the same thing. Right. That like enemies are few on the map and, you know, we can sort of relax a little bit. But it is a little bit odd that all of this is meant to sort of like cue the player on what's going on or maybe it's not that maybe it's more like priming the player you know maybe it is meant to be a bit obscure and all they want to do is slightly tip that like you should be thinking along these lines and i think that that that, i think that's what they that that strikes me as what the game wants you to do is just to get keep you on alert right like the trigger of a bark that isn't because of an action that you are extracting from a character because you clicked on them and asked them to do something but it sounds like it doesn't really accomplish any of those things. And at the end of the day, there should have been part of the tutorialization that was like, hey, these barks mean this. So that when this is triggered, the player, like, rather than like just on screen UI being like, aliens despawn. It's like, well, we tried to do some in universe yeah. version of like, look, at some level, we're abstracting a lot of elements. Here's our way of abstracting it. But you as the player, you know, like rather than having a tooltip that comes up um, and explaining what happened, you you get this bark. This this feels like the kind of thing that comes from like an earlier design pass at these systems where it was like aliens were changing in like there were there was like fewer math mm. changes. That's what the, that like when I hear this, I'm like, oh, this was a solution to to a problem that used to that like to a to a different version of the system where like it. it I, I would guess that like enemies like changing maps was like a lot less common and a lot bigger of a deal and and therefore like could be like communicated like once or twice in a mission and would always be associated with either dead quiet or a thing happening such that like players would be able to like better connect those ideas as opposed to like the current balance where like enemies are spawning at X rate and so therefore these barks are happening way more frequently than like yeah. a given dev intended. Uh, or like then then the system was intended for. Well, and the thing I'd say is, um, I think a little confusion is also sprinkled on top of it because 
the game will tip you when big state changes have happened. Like there's a massive horde incoming. And there you have your character who's sort of the uh, like commander who's located mm-hmm. in the armored vehicle that follows you around. They're like sort of your eye in the sky type mm-hmm. helper. And they tell you like, uh, you know, we're seeing incoming signatures. You got a huge wave inbound. And there you do get like special knowledge that you shouldn't necessarily have of the map state that shows you like here is the spawn location that the big wave is coming from and that gives you an indication of like what direction to orient your forces around or how long it be, it, you have till till the wave hits yeah. uh so it, it's it's kind of it's kind of an odd little system uh it's it, it's cool that it correlates in that way but yeah i can't i certainly can't blame people for not getting it because i think part of it is the game is so successful with a lot of other, other parts of its theming that you just kind of assume what should the marines know in the situation not yeah. much um, or at least have their, like you said, Rob, have the commander be like, we're getting something on sonar, right? Like I'm, yeah. I'm detecting like footsteps somewhere or like there is like a, a heartbeat has gone. Like y- you have to have it communicate. Like I, I understand the desire here where it's like, we need to communicate this to the player. They shouldn't have perfect information. And the fact that their information is imperfect is like what makes this game the thing it is. And so like, we cannot have like the, the AI be like, Hey chief. Uh, guys in the Northwest Quadrant. That's nothing. But, like, a, a call from your boss being like, I, I hear something yeah. would, like, probably have just communicated this a lot more effectively. But, like, a lot with a lot less, like, interesting, like, it wouldn't give the vibe. Yeah. Uh, right. It's it's want. it's better to have characters who are kind of, like, sound kind of freaked out and panicked uh, as you're as, as you're moving around. Uh yeah, it's it's a cool game though. Uh, it's it's a lot of fun when, especially when when things start to start to go wrong. I've been continuing to enjoy it uh, quite a bit. Last email here from uh, Drew on a recent episode. I want to say episode six. You, they've all been recent episodes, really. When you think about it, you had a brief discussion about MOBAs and when the first one came out. I was wondering, do fo- did folks know? There's a good argument. That the first MOBA was a multiplayer offline battle arena that released in the late '90s. Run five years before Dota, the competitive multiplayer mode for the sci-fi police brutality extrajudicial murder simulator Future Cop LAPD had two players hopping in little transforming mechs or one player in a mech and a slightly cringe uh, movie quoting CPU opponent in an airship facing off in what was basically a prehistoric MOBA. Players would run around the map, capturing turrets and minion generating bases while protecting their minions in the hopes of getting one of them uh, into the enemy base and occasionally blowing up their opponent if they saw them because it took the enemy hero off the board for a few seconds. Despite being pretty primitive, it's still a lot of fun. I would recommend trying it out if you get the chance. It's a fun look at a path console gaming could have gone down. You might have already known about it since Patrick's been reporting on games for a really long time, but I want to reach out just in case. Anyway, ACAB includes Future Cop LAPD, but it's still a fun <laughs> game that gets over unfairly overlooked a lot. Made by EA Redwood Shores. Huh. Uh, yeah, I, rem- I remember this game. I don't remember anything about it. Um, there's probably a, actually like a pretty decently long history of games that are attributed as the birth of a genre. Sacrifice. Actually, kind of over, yeah. Yeah, but are not actually, like there's there's like the formalization of a genre and then right. there's the popularization of a genre and like figuring out, pinpointing like where that uh, begins and where you where you ascribe credit is a complicated endeavor. But it sounds like the game technically fits the mold of like what we would now. But it's as though you're you're ascribing that in hindsight as opposed to uh, 
you know, the, the thought that like at that time we, you just made different game modes, right? It's like part of what, part of what was happening with games at that time was like, and we got a single player campaign that goes for 10 hours. We got 14 weapons. We have six multiplayer modes, including, you know, yeah. this one that is our unique spin on something. And I feel like that is more in line with what was happening with future cop. Well, then. <laughs> and I think in particular, like the weird, uh, it gets overlooked a lot that, a lot of attention is given to things like Warcraft three when it reintroduces some concepts of character action stuff happening in an RTS and a lot of like MOBAs stem from that. But if you look at the early history of RTS games, a lot of the, there's a strong lineage of like, we're going to center the action on a hero unit and <sighs> RTS stuff is going to happen around it. Uh, and that stuff tends to be forgotten because like things like Warcraft uh, two and Starcraft and command and conquer were so huge. But this is sort of in the DNA of the genre. I mean, like, was, you know, is Resident Evil for the birth of the, of the modern third person shooter? Yeah. 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 Ostensibly. Yeah. Uh, however, like, <laughs> you know, that's not how genre works. You, you want to give that one another shot? <laughs> uh, like, I'll... Yeah. Excellent. Okay, nailed it. Good. Yep. Got that on the soundboard. Yeah, I got y'all. Um... <laughs> But like resident, like this is just like how genre works broadly, and so I'm like really not surprised that MOBAs are, are are like this because I don't think there's any genre that has ever actually like truly formed whole cloth out of a single text. Um, I cannot think of any instance in which that's that's actually happened. It'd be very funny if in a couple of years though there's like just some games history stuff, interviewing developers and like tons of them are referring back to, and then I played future cop LAPD and like the scales <laughs> fell from my eyes. That's not what was, what was possible uh, with the, with the medium. Uh, all right. That will, that concludes another episode of remap radio. The theme song is moments paused by two mellow. You can check out his work on two mellow makes dot uh, you can follow everything we do at Remap Radio on Twitch, Blue Sky, Twitter, YouTube, and other platforms. Once again, we rely on our audience to support us, and you can sign up to become a backer by going to RemapRadio.com and following the links and instructions you see there. Uh, the basic plan provides access to an ad-free version of this podcast, all the projects we carried over from Waypoint Plus, including 101, Manhunting, and the Sports Podcast. The foundation plan is still a work in progress, uh, but it is where we are trying out new ideas and just discussing a lot of stuff we're really interested in. Uh, and hey, if you are looking for other ways to support us, please consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, this week, Foundation and Basic Tier listeners will hear Patrick Cotton and I talk about the exciting world of accounting as independent contractors or small business owners on Remap After Dark. Your support also lets us set time <laughs> aside for streaming. This week, Natalie and I went back to Citadel one last time, for real this time, to show off the executive level and some of the cool ideas it has for improving corporate governance. Then Ren and Kylo returned to Armored Core. Uh, no, there's we an extra steam. No, we didn't. No, we didn't. didn't? No, we didn't. No, we didn't. Uh, our save <laughs> file got corrupted, and so instead we talked about video game fashion for an hour and a half. So if you want to spend an hour good. and a half of looking, the numbers at- kept going up. I was surprised. I was like, people yeah. hate people it when we stay- actually play the games. We probably people yeah. are sticking around. I like, yeah, we were like, we're gonna do this for a little bit and see if some of our uh, other options come through. They didn't. Um, were you in the just chatting category? Yes, we were. We had yeah. switched over. Well, that's <laughs> yeah. that's, that's why the number goes up because it's like the most generic. Uh, yeah. But, but so if you want to see us freak out about armored core based jackets, <laughs> if you want to make me hear a new kind of noise, <laughs> jump to the Fantastic. remap Twitter. 
and, and people can sub there now. Uh, yes. We should point that out. We gave up on waiting to be approved for partner despite <laughs> technically qualifying and have moved over to what they call affiliate status, which we get less of the money from like a sub. But if you would like to sub, if you already have like a lot of people in Amazon Prime subscription, you want to send that our way. Um, you can now do that during the the streams that we've got going on. And hey, there's an extra stream this week brought to you by uh, some sleeper agents we activated at NVIDIA. We've contracted with them to do another GeForce Now stream where we show off what games are on the platform and how well it works for various genres. Uh, I'm really excited for this week because GeForce Now really fucked Patrick. Uh, right after mm-hmm. we wrapped this week, uh, last week, Jagged Alliance 3 was added to GeForce Now. Then this week, we got notice that Xenonauts 2 is on the service as well. So Patrick, this week, is going to watch me and Kato spend hours planning turns in the tutorials for two different tactics games. That's not what the wheel does. (laughs) And this is called Karma for the wheel spitting out Dota 2 on its first spin last week. You cannot, you cannot, you cannot reject the wheel this quickly. You can pick one of those games and then you must, you must kneel. Uh, to the wheel. I also I want to po- point out that um, the our, our our like single sponsor stream is also the one that has done the best individual numbers. <laughs> nice. I don't know what to make of that. I don't know what to do with that People information. Like the chaos. We're selling the out, and the audience is buying. <laughs> uh, and then we'll go back to our regularly scheduled programming, uh, and possibly as you listen to this, Patrick and Cotto are striding back into the field of kings. Is this heaven, I hear you ask? No. (laughs) It's Remap. Mm -hmm. Kato, look... We all suffer surrounded by redundant inputs. We all live in a thicket of peripherals uh-huh. because because of the nature of this. You have to come down to hell to join us. No. no. Just go buy another Logitech $50 camera. We have the budget. You should have two plugged in keyboards. And you know what? A wireless one, too. Just in case you need to type something from across the screen, from across the room. Kata was perpetually typing. Kata was perpetually typing. Sorry, always I, be typing. I have two I do love the ones now. I found this on the oh street my yesterday. God. It looks like it. <laughs> why? Because it was free. Well, sorry, what, why? If this, one, if this one breaks, I have a backup now. Because it was free. Because it was free. You know what? <laughs> Kato, that sounds like something I would say. And even I have a level of respect for myself. Wow. Look. These listen, stooping in New York is a time honored tradition, but people don't yeah. get a second couch because it was free. No, but this is I a tiny know, keyboard. That whole controversy them. with the the lady got the couch and it was that expensive couch, and people believed it wasn't the expensive couch, and then they were worried it was full of maggots. What are you talking about? You don't it was, do this. was like a whole thing. Couches, couches too big. Couches too much. You don't know if it has bed bugs. You're so people are supposed to put fucking signs on that shit if it does, but they don't. Secretly, they want it taken away. They just want to they get rid want of it. Someone to come in. Yep. They just want to get rid of it. It yep. doesn't matter. Comes someone else's problem. <laughs> exactly, 100%. All right. But this doesn't have bed bugs on it. And if my other keyboard. Or anything else. It's, this one. It seems this fine. This barely got keys on it. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Centennial World. 
dot com is a legitimate website, but this is the story. Probably written by a robot, Thank you. but sure. Thank you. This blue couch girl went viral. Oh, Don't this is also step yeah. on it. Why would you step oh, on it? That's such an expensive couch. Yes, it is. <laughs> it's so funny. It's so yes, I know. And it, what's so funny is oh. it's an expensive couch that like mm, I don't know, what? man. I, I looked. I would pay seventy five dollars for that at IKEA. <laughs> My uh, my girlfriend does really like postmodern interiors, which is this couch is very much in the style of postmodern interiors. And I I yeah, this is the this couch is so I've seen this couch eight thousand dollars. Yeah, this is I was gonna say this is at least an eight thousand dollar couch. It was a big okay. A big I might deal. chance it. I might chance it. I would chance it absolutely. And if you scroll down, it shows her cleaning it at like her father's like shop like doing the work like yeah no if you can take it to an isolated location and like observe it for a few days out for a a couple of days and like to make sure nothing emerged from it like the the girl got lucky sometimes that happens okay but okay but wait yeah wait why is that link fucked (laughs) god damn it what Okay, but who knows what is the the AliExpress couch? The whole point is the shit that people are getting on that is like indistinguishable. Mm-hmm. Oh, also, I mean, okay. also still six hundred dollars. Would you take a six hundred dollars? No, no, no. If if there's oh, so a six hundred dollars street couch, no, I wouldn't. Eight thousand dollars, yes. Six hundred dollars street couch, no. Also, not to activate uh, dating and interior designer mode. However, if it, the six hundred dollar version of this couch is not the same couch, like it, it no. looks the same, well, but like yeah, the build obviously. quality. Yeah, yeah. The, the whole point of that website is to give you the like shit, cheaper, so people yeah. think you bought something expensive. <laughs> yeah, there. I, mean, I don't know, know how clothing or furniture works. Sorry, Rob. But you didn't see the. I don't know, like, I don't know how much. Pardon. Y'all didn't see the influencers oh, go to Shein. They, 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 they took a look. They took a look at their. At their hey, one of them was a re- one of them claims to be a reporter, Kato, and <laughs> that's good enough for me. She talked to a lady and she said, "Don't believe what you read out there." And you know what? If someone told me that, I believe them. This is why. Uh... But a free chip, you know, I don't know about China, but like a free chip sounds pretty nice. You know, just say you wanted the free trip. Like, come on, like just come on. <laughs> yeah. Just say you wanted the free trip. No. I- I got you. I got you, girl. $7,000 trip in the bag. You know what? I, 